What is the virus? There's coronavirus. And in America, we're dealing with a virus of ideas right now with the weaponization of social media and the manner in which, you know, these platforms are being leveraged to pit us against each other. Uh, I think that's a virus. And I think certainly the argument can be made that humanity is a virus on the planet in the manner in which we approach it from a consumptive perspective rather than a sustainable one. And I think until we get a handle on how we manage the animals on the planet for our food sources, we're going to continue to see these outbreaks and they're only going to get worse. I mean, I feel like coronavirus is a very mild uh, you know, reminder that we're a guest on this planet. Like it could be so much more deadly and virulent. It's like we've been given this wake-up call. It's 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 like this way of saying, like, hey, you guys need to really get your shit together and change the way that you operate or function because this ain't working. That was the seductive and also mellifluous tones of the one and only Rich Roll talking to me live from his mountaintop home in Malibu Canyon, Southern California. Rich is my go-to wellness guru and podcasting hero who recently took a couple of hours out of his zen-like existence to talk to me about myriad things, including his beautiful new book, Voicing Change, a stunning collection of images and words from 50 of his favourite Rich Roll podcast conversations over the last few years, of which we'll talk more much, much more in a few moments. But first, I am so excited to be able to announce today's show is brought to you by the world-famous legendary whole food dietary daily supplement, Athletic Greens. Ta-da! This is so cool. Every morning, Tash, my wife, and I go scoop da loop with one heap scoopful of this all-round nutritional insurance, which is made up of no less than 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients, including a multivitamin, multi-mineral, probiotic, green superfood, scientifically researched and blended together to support and improve energy, recovery, immunity and digestion. I've been on it for about four weeks now and I feel genuinely different. My skin is smoother. I love a nap in the day. I don't always get to have one, but now if I don't somehow it feels okay you know it could be a placebo effect but i don't think it is well whichever way i look at it i think athletic greens is working for me a deep seaweed green like nature itself this eye candy concoction takes just a few seconds like no more than five or six okay ten tops to prepare and taste absolutely gorgeous after hearing my go-to wellness wise guys go on about athletic greens for years you know rich roll and the likes of tim ferris you know you know you know the names i'm talking about i've been on my own athletic greens journey now with my wife for about four weeks and honestly honestly i'm convinced it's made a difference i always always hankered for a nap in the afternoons you know and i still i still try and get like an hour of lying down you know, I actually lie down on the rug, on the floor, in the living room, because it grounds me. But over the last month, if I've missed out on my hour, which sometimes I do, it doesn't come back to bite me at tea time with the kids. When it usually does, it feels all right. I mean, I still want it. I don't know if it's a placebo effect, but honestly, um, I just feel different. My skin feels smoother. I'm thinking more clearly. I don't know. I don't know. But give it a go. Deep seaweed green like nature herself. This eye candy concoction takes just a few seconds, like no more than five or six. Okay, ten tops in our house. To prepare and taste absolutely gorgeous. 
Simply visit athleticgreens.com slash how to wow and join health experts, athletes and health conscious go-getters around the world who make a daily commitment to their health every day. Again, simply visit athleticgreens.com slash how to wow. Okay, and don't forget slash how to wow because this will entitle you to the special deal Athletic Greens have given how to wow listeners. A free year's supply of vitamin D and five travel-free packs today to take with you on the go. Once again, Athletic greens.com slash don't forget how to wow and now on with our rich roll special rich is the guy who turned me on to athletic greens for the first time he's been at it for four years i can't wait to catch up talking to which let's catch up with that conversation live from malibu kenya good morning california hey hey how's it going <laughs> well more to the point how's it going over there for heaven's sake i think our democratic experiment is going to survive What's the vibe? The vibe is interesting. I feel like there's been, um, it's been kind of uh, interesting to realize that half of America uh, woke up and decided we need more of this guy. So that's sort of disappointing in its own way. Uh, But I also think that it's pulling covers on what America really is. You know, I think this is America and has been America for a long time. And there's kind of a, a, a dawning epiphany that, uh, that not only are we divided in certain respects, but that we have been for a long time. And this is something that, you know, people, uh, a, lot of, a lot of underprivileged people and people of color and um, minorities have been contending with for a long time that uh, a lot of people have turned a blind eye to. So, uh, you know, I feel encouraged by that, that perhaps we can have a broader conversation about how to move forward. But it's been pretty crazy here, I got to tell you. Very crazy. And it's not done yet because it's three o'clock for everyone listening to this podcast, whether, you know, in 20 years' time. Let me tell you, it, in the UK, it's one minute past three o'clock on the 5th of November. So, Rich, I'm presuming it's one minute past seven where you are-ish. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. We still don't have confirmation, uh, but it's looking like you know it's going to be a, 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 you know a Biden win, um, and there's all kinds of shenanigans at the moment <laughs> across the country. I, I, know. I know. By which the way, is very just, embarrassing. But go ahead. Just so you're aware, we're sweating over here as much as you're sweating there. It is wild how the rest of the world is is paying such close attention to this you know it's like in america we're not dialing up you know all the election results across the world but something about this particular election i don't know why (laughs) (laughs) has captured the fascination of the world and it's it's super crazy i was watching bloomberg as well they say this is the biggest election day rally on the stock market um ever Yeah, I think Jim Cramer just said something. He's a, he's a big uh, financial pundit here um, about how uh, he's looking forward to some level of normalcy. And if we can achieve that, that the markets will thrive. Okay, what is the, um, what is the vibe in Los Angeles particularly? Well, I can't say I have my finger on the pulse of Los Angeles because, as you know, I live out in the middle of nowhere and I don't interact with that many people. <laughs> so, so I'm in my little uh, rural Malibu Canyon coronavirus <laughs> bubble, so to speak. 
Um, so, uh, you know, I'm not driving around in downtown LA, but I know that, you know, a lot of the retail stores were boarded up the third street promenade. They boarded up a lot of the stores, Rodeo drive. I think they closed it down and boarded up all the posh shops there, uh, expecting some kind of, um, disruption in the result of all of this. But as far as I can tell, it's been smooth. There hasn't been rioting or any of that kind of stuff. And again, that's something that gives me confidence that we can move forward. So Rich, what does it feel like to be a guru? Oh, come on. <laughs> Coming right out of the gate with that? <laughs> oh man, it's too early for that, Chris. It's too early. Um, I don't wear that well. You know, I think we talked about this before, like I'm here to share my experience and it's been cool and interesting that it connects uh, with, you know, a fair number of people, but I don't consider myself a teacher, which is kind of the root, the root definition of guru. I mean, guru is somebody you put up on a pedestal, I suppose. That doesn't sit great with me. Like I'm, I'm a humble servant and you know, this podcast that I do is just been my journey to kind of grow and continue to learn and sit with interesting people who know a lot more than I do about a lot of different things. And, you know, to be able to share that is great. But the idea that I'm some kind of guru, you know, I don't, I don't know that that is befitting of what I do. Well, I would let you off with that response. Um, but I can't anymore because you said the same thing to Matthew McConaughey last week. What, that what that he's a, that he's become a lifestyle guru. You called him. Well, he's, he's, you said he, he's a guru. <laughs> he is a little bit though. Well, so you know, ever well, so are he, you then in that case? Come on, you can't have it both ways. <laughs> but he gets up and delivers these graduation uh, commencement addresses where he's telling you know young people uh, you know how to think about life. I don't know that I that I'm that I have that kind of manifesto chambered inside of me. Um, so maybe there's a little bit of a distinction there, but I'm interested in how it went. I know you spoke to him yesterday, right? Like, how did that go? Well, it's, it's very interesting actually, because as you know, he is the dream guest. It was the best interview I've mm. been involved in. I mean, I, I posed some questions for him to respond to, but I listened to your uh, podcast. I read the book. His book is amazing as I know you agree with. And I also listened, listened I to him it. on Joe Rogan. Um, so before I answer that, let's just talk a bit about Joe Rogan. So for people who don't know Rich, mm. can you tell everyone who Joe Rogan is in case they might not know? Joe Rogan is the 800 pound gorilla in the podcast space. He dominates the airwaves here in, in the United States. I mean, he has the largest podcast, I think, in the world at this point. Um, he recently signed a licensing deal with Spotify for upwards of $100 million. And he captures um, the lion's share of young male listeners across the world, I, I, I think. I mean, I think that if you're a young male between the ages of 17 and, and maybe even upwards of 40, He's quite possibly the most important media figure in your life. And over the course of, you know, mm. the decade plus that he's been doing a podcast, he's grown it into this behemoth and he sits down with all kinds of, um, all kinds of people, you know, I, uh, you know, he's had Bernie Sanders on, but he also has Matthew McConaughey on, he has Elon Musk on, and then I'll have Alex Jones on, <laughs> you know, so it's entertaining and, you know, look, I've been on his show twice. I have a good relationship with him. I, I, you know, I, I don't agree with him on everything, but I think he's become um, 
you know, a sort of uh, not only an important voice in culture, but also um, a lightning rod for a lot of people. Uh, you know, he's controversial to say the least. So my wife Natasha, who you've met, and I, we listened mm. to your second appearance together on Joe Rogan, and she was really, she was really protective of you. Mm. She, why? Because she thought he was gonna, he was gonna steamroll me or something. Yeah, she was like, she was scared for you. I said he'll be fine. I mean, obviously this <laughs> happened years ago, but it, we listened to right. it last week. I said he's gonna be fine. It's gonna be okay. <laughs> it was so long ago. All I remember about that experience is that we didn't talk about anything having to do with my life. We were talking about like echolocation and like ant colonies and all kinds of strange, you know, topics, whatever. I mean, it's the Joe Rogan experience, right? It's like whatever <laughs> he wants to talk about. Yeah. Well, you talked about lots, actually. You did talk about, you talk about, you talked about being plant-based. Uh, you talked about uh, the blue zones. You talked about um, him hunting and killing uh, meat, which is a much more sustainable and direct relationship. Um, you know, if you are going to eat animals, if you are going to eat sentient beings, uh, you talked, you had a very interesting mm -hmm. conversation about honeycomb and whether, you know, whether you could eat honey as a vegan, as a committed vegan, as being plant-based because you kept bees then. Are you still keeping bees now? No, we don't have bees anymore, um, but we did for a period of time. Yeah, and you talked about that amazing invention that this this guy came up with that, that sort of changed the angle or the confluence of the honeycomb so you could pour get the honey out of the hive without upsetting the bees. Right, yeah, I have a vague recollection of that. It was so long ago. I don't remember what we talked about. Yeah, I do remember there was, I think there was a guy with a Kickstarter. I don't know what's going on with him now, but he had come up with, some way of harvesting honey that was uh, kinder and more sustainable in terms of protecting bee colonies. And I think the, the, there's two points with that. I mean, one is when you, when you start talking about veganism, adopting a plant-based diet, a lot of the arguments that come up are really edge cases. Like, what do you think about honey? And you know, what about the eggs that the chickens in my backyard you know, lay? Is that okay? Is that ethical? And and you know, I, as I recall, we talked about all of that kind of stuff. But I think you, you know, the what that misses is the you know bigger issues that we can all align on, which is that there are huge ills with factory farming and the meat that we find in our supermarkets, and the you know primary way in which most people um, consume the meat and dairy products in their diet. So we could talk about honey and all the rest, but. Um, those are really like kind of, you know, on the margins of the ethical discussion, testing the outside parameters of, you know, where your ethics lie. Um, but the real conversation is about, you know, basically the industrialization of our meat and dairy industry and how those products are produced and how we consume them. What's wonderful about podcasts, of course, you know this better than most, is that because I listened to that recently, you know, it's so fresh in my mind. And you're like, well, that was years ago. I can't remember <laughs> right. a damn thing. You know, it's so funny because you're often on the other end of that conversation, aren't you? Well, of course. Listen, you talk to people for a living and have been doing it a lot longer than I have. If I was to pull up some interview you did like eight <laughs> years ago and, you know, grilled you on it, we, you probably wouldn't remember anything about it. I mean, you're doing, you, you know, I do one, of the, one or two of these a week, but you're doing it every single day. 
No, but that's what I love. I, I'm talking about it as a positive with podcasts because because they they can seem so fresh to the listener. You feel like you've just found it for the first time, and that that's why I love them so much. Mm. It was also funny when you were talking to Joe. This is the second time you were on because he was thrilled at getting a million downloads per show. I remember, and he's like, "I oh, man, I got a million downloads a show," you know, and that was a big deal back then, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, for sure, and. You know, little did he know that he'd be getting, I think he gets like a hundred million a month now or something like that. Like his numbers are bananas compared to what it was back then. But, you know, to his credit, he basically just kept doing his thing and he never allowed the success to kind of pervert or change his method. And he's tried to retain, you know, some fidelity to that. And, you know, the audience just showed up. And I think there's a lesson in there about, you know, consistency and, just you know staying in the game and you know the fact that he's grown to such a large extent i mean it's it's unbelievable and i think it you know it just bodes well for the po the podcasting environment at large i think we're still very much in our uh late infancy or early adolescence with all of this and there's tons of room to grow i mean i talk to people every single day who say i've never listened to a podcast I mean, there's still a lot of people out there that are just discovering this medium that I've been in love with for a long time. And I think we're only going to continue to see it grow. So what's going on with his Spotify deal? Because he signed this big deal and he was supposed to be exclusive to Spotify, uh, but he's still on everywhere. What's, got, what's going on there? I mean, my understanding is that he signed this deal, I don't know, six months ago or whatever. Um, it's not, they didn't buy his show. It's a licensing deal. He still retains complete creative control over it. Um, and upon executing that deal, the show started to air on Spotify because prior to that, he was not on Spotify. He was on YouTube and all the typical platforms. But I believe starting in January, it's going to be a, pot, uh, a Spotify exclusive. So he will disappear from YouTube and from Apple Podcasts and that whole ecosystem and will only be on Spotify with the exception of his, his podcast clips YouTube channel where he can put up you know, five, 10 minute uh, little uh, interludes from his show, and that will remain on, on YouTube. So it's going to be interesting to see, you know, if you're going to want to see or listen to Joe Rogan, you're going to have to go to Spotify and they've built in a video player now. So when you pull up his show, you have the option of either just listening to it in audio only or watching the video on your device or your desktop. Has anybody swept in for you yet? <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm waiting for that big Spotify money, Chris. Where is it? So uh, for people, how does, how does your model work? I mean, without giving too much away because it's your, your own private business. Yeah. Because you've, start, you've started to pop up in the middle with ads in the middle of your chats as well because you play around with it. You move, you know, it's a movable feast, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I'm always experimenting with it. I'm not set to any specific way of doing it. Um, I just want to make sure that it's a good experience for the listener. So it's a it's a it's an ad model. Um, I did it for years without monetizing it at all, and never thought of it as something that would be you know a vocation <laughs> that would feed my family. But it's grown into that. So I do three or four, you know, sixty to ninety second ad reads. Um, and those rates are based on the audience size. And for a long time, I would front load them and put them all in the, in the front with the introduction. There was some griping like, oh, it takes too long to get to the interview. So now I've played around with breaking them up and putting a few in the middle and, you know, we'll see how it goes. I mean, I'm, I'm always kind of like tweaking it, but yeah, it's essentially, you know, uh, it's basically ad supported.
And, and also, I mean, with that, because of the things that I talk about and that I care about, it's important that I have sponsors that are consistently, you know, aligned with the message that I try to put out in the world. So I have to say no to most of the um, corporations that want to add that want to advertise on the show. And I'm really selective about who those partners are. And you've been so nice to me over the last few weeks without even knowing it. Well, maybe you did know it. The point is, so so we started this podcast and then I emailed Rich and said, Rich, you know, I've bitten the bullet. I couldn't resist it. You know, uh, the candy was too tempting. I've started a podcast. And I said gleefully, and we're at number one. And and then Rich, uh, you very, very kindly <laughs> emailed me back, of course you're number one. And then I'm listening to Joe Rogan and you. And then I discovered that, most new podcasts get to number one for about a minute. Yeah. <laughs> Don't. I, th- I thought about telling you that, but I didn't want to burst your bubble because it is exciting when you, when that happens. And I experienced that as well. Like when I started mine eight years ago, I mean, it was very different, but, um, you know, I shot right to the top and I thought, oh my goodness, I can't believe it. Like I'm right at the top, right out of the gate. Like this is unbelievable. And then, you know, 90 days, 60 days later or whatever, it kind of settles into where it's supposed to be. So the algorithm does favor new shows. And I think that's a good thing because it it creates visibility and discoverability, which is still, I think, a big problem in podcasting. Um, but listen, you know, there's no reason why you can't stay at number one. I don't know where you are right now, but you already have such credibility and such a massive audience with what you do you're, you know, in that rarefied air where you're able to kind of move that audience over and establish a, a, a beachfront in the podcasting space. So I'm excited for you. And I'm, I'm surprised you didn't do this a long time ago. No, well, you know, I, I didn't I didn't want to step on toes, to be honest, because I think, you know, the staying in, you know, staying in your lane is very important. You talk about that a lot. And I, you know, I've got a great job and a great show here. But then there are conversations to be had with people that come on my show that, that, that can't be framed in the three and a half hours with music and news and stuff like that. And so mm. I just I just thought I'd have a go. And we thought we'd give it a go until the end of this year. And the point about it is, I suppose, is, you know, are we having conversations that other people aren't having? Um, if we are, that's good. Are we having similar conversations to other people, but they may only listen to them if we have them? It's, that's also good. Uh, but also, are we having fun doing it? And as long, and I've told mm-hmm. the team here, you know, uh, we've all agreed on it. You know, we, we're splitting the dough if, it, if any ever comes in. That's what we're going to do. And we're just going to have some fun. We have this thing called um uh, the podcast pub club so on a thursday we do a couple of podcasts we do the show as well so we get up at three we do the show like 6 30 and then we finish then we do a couple of two-hour podcasts and then we whatever money we may have from sponsors we try and spend in the pub and we Uh you know that's that's fun (laughs) yeah that's so very british of you (laughs) i love it um Uh, come on here's the thing though here like if i do a podcast in a day, like I'm, I'm depleted afterwards. <laughs> like it takes a lot of energy to prepare and get ready. And then, you know, be present for, uh, you know, a couple hours with an individual. And then I'm cooked. Like, I don't know how you get up at three o'clock in the morning, do the whole radio show, then do these pod. Like you're, you've, you're, you're firing on all cylinders. Like where does this energy come from? Well, I'm either firing it on all cylinders and or running on fumes at the same time, but I was going to talk to you about this. I was going to leave it a bit later, but let's do it now. Cause you brought it up. Um, because <laughs> you have said this before you've said exactly what you just said now. And I, I hear you go. And sometimes you talk about it on the podcast, especially with Adam and you say, you know, I done a couple of podcasts this week. I'm beaten up. And I'm thinking you've done four fucking hours, Roll. <laughs> 
Well, it's like, all right, we'll take McConaughey, for example, yeah. right? All right, I'm going to read his book. I'm going to do a deep dive into his life. I'm going to try to explore the far corners of the internet and come up with some things that uh, to talk to him about that maybe, you know, are off the beaten path because I know he's doing all the press outlets. I mean, that guy is everywhere, right? He's doing tons of podcasts. He's on every mainstream media outlet. Like, what am I going to be able to mine from him uh, that's going to set my show apart from the other shows? And so I put a lot of time into that. And then there's a lot of emotional energy, like, oh my God, I'm going to talk to Matthew McConaughey. So, you know, like that in and of itself is a thing. And then I do the thing and then there's like this release, right? And then I'm like, man, I, I like, you know, I'm tired. And I think about you a lot. I'm like, how do you maintain that level of energy? Maybe, you know, it's about like your, my emotional attachment to the whole thing. If I can have a healthier, uh, you know, arm's length, uh, kind of connection with it all. I might, maybe I'd be better off, but um, I don't know, man. Like if I do two, two a week is my sweet spot, but I've done weeks where I've done four and I've really, it really has like <laughs> worn me out, man. You know, So like, I can't imagine doing it every day. It's like being a lifeguard for you on, um, on Venice beach and saying, I had to rescue two people this year. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> No, but it, I think we're both right and we're both wrong, to be honest. Because honestly, I did all that with Matthew as well. And I listened to your podcast with him. And I listened to Joe's podcast with, with him. Um, on that, did you listen to Joe Rogan's podcast with Matthew McConaughey? No, I didn't. I didn't. I, I did listen to some other. What did I, I think I listened to. I tried to not because I didn't want to be overly influenced by what other people were talking to him about. So I actually didn't listen to that one. Was it well, good? It was really, it was really, no, it was really interesting. It was good, yeah, but it was really interesting because it was so obvious Joe hadn't read the book. Mm -hmm. And he's, but he's doing podcasts almost every day. And I think the thing with Joe is, <laughs> radio show everybody every day. knows. <laughs> radio show, read the book, cover to cover, radio show every day. <laughs> you did, right. Yeah, like, but that's amazing. You know, I think, and I think that's unusual. I think Joe holds him, like he doesn't make any bones about the fact that he doesn't read anybody's book or that he doesn't really prepare that much. But I think when people come on his show, they realize the audience is so massive and the opportunity is so extreme that the guest always comes loaded for bear and is like ready to go. Yeah, yeah. And Joe's able to like facilitate that conversation, um, but he doesn't pretend that he's read the book either. I mean, I didn't listen to that one. Did he act like he had? I, I can't imagine he acted like he had read No, it. he didn't. And again, it's not a slight. It's absolutely not a slight on Joe because I do that as well because sometimes we have three or four guests on a show every day and they've all got books out. And, you know, and I was given all the books yeah, the night no before. there's no way you can do it. I, but it's, and I've, I've heard you talk about the same thing. You say, I'm halfway through the book or da-da-da. You know, and there's a different conversation to be had. But you can always tell, can't you? And isn't it funny how... You know, because I, I've, your book is a, is a, you know, it's a beautiful coffee table book. I have it in front of me. We'll talk about that in a second or two. Um, but I do love it when I'm, I've, I've done the homework. I just feel better. I feel sort of more. I, mm. I feel the basis of, 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 of content and surprise are loaded and, and locked and ready to go. And I just feel a bit more free to be fluid. Yeah, of course, of course. But then you set yourself up. Like, okay, this is the expectation. The expectation is you're always going to have read the book, right? And then, yep. and then like, there you are, and then you got to do it, right? And, and if you're doing four podcasts in a week, are you going to read four books? Because mm. most of the people are, you know, they're making themselves available, at least the fancy people, because they, you know, they've got something <laughs> they want to promote.
And that's part of the bargain. And I, I willingly enter that bargain. But I think one of the things, listen, if, if Matthew McConaughey wants to do a podcast, I'm, I'm, I'm there 100%. But as I continue to do this thing, like I'm less interested in being a stop on the book tour. And I'm more interested in finding people um, that, you know, perhaps could benefit from having their voice amplified and people that are deserving of that, that aren't getting enough attention. And that's more personally gratifying, I think, in the long run. Do you know it was me that sent you the email about Oliver Stone? What email about Oliver Stone? Did I? So well, I get these emails from you, you under, you under aliases, and I'm like, who is this email from? <laughs> And then I, and then when I want to email you, I can't remember the alias name, and I, so I, I have to like search my inbox, try to remember. So we had all we we had Oliver Stone on the show, and he gave us a, a freaking great interview. It was great, and we recorded it before the show for an hour. So we started to record at like five twenty a.m. our time, and he stayed up, you know, and he he did. There were a few jabs to the to the to the solar plexus, you know, in the first few responses to make sure that I had read his book. So I thought, right, I'm coming right back at you. So I let him know in the next two or three questions, fuck, I've read your book. Don't you worry mm. about that, Mr. Stone. And then and then he gave us a great interview on the back of that. I mean, it was beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. And um, so I thought, Rich would love Oliver. And I had got his number. So I sent you <laughs> I sent you this email saying, Rich, I think I can get Oliver for your show. And you went, thanks very much, um, pseudonym. That would be very nice. Uh, we'd, I'd love to have Oliver. On. And I thought, he doesn't care about him. He's not, not. But then later I thought, oh, it, perhaps he didn't know it was me. So I didn't bother phoning him oh, for you because I thought you weren't I have a interested. vague memory of that. I blew it. You have to tell me who you are when you email me. Otherwise, I probably just thought it was a random person, and I and I I, I was unsure about the the validity of the sender. Now I'm super bummed. I would have loved to have had Oliver Stone on the podcast. Well, I thought I thought I'm sure Richard would be a bit more excited. This never mind, and I just went to bed. I think I think that was the end of that. So what effect has um, us mentioning, and this isn't me being vanglorious, I promise, um, has, has us mentioning you, your podcast on this show had? Because you, you have been extremely grateful and you're more than welcome and you know what my sh mission statement was after I met you and I continue with that mission statement. It will go on set on this, this show. But has it had a marked effect on your audience? It's had a massive, massive impact. I can't thank you enough. Like the fact that you mentioned, first of all, the fact that you mentioned my podcast just once, let alone regularly. Like, I'm just, I'm so honored by that. And the impact of that has been gigantic. I mean, you know, I do better in the UK than almost anywhere else in terms of the show showing up and the number of like DMs that I get and the audience size that has grown in Great Britain as a result of you talking about the show. And it's, it's been huge. And, you know, I'm so thankful and grateful for that. Well, you don't have to be. I just, I just wonder. You know what? Because I will. I'm going to. You know what my mission is. Again, it will remain private between the two of us. But I am. I am. I am true to that mission, Rich, and I will do everything I can to make it happen. Now, um, I was very fortunate to be invited to your house with my wife on March the first. We were due to run the Tokyo Marathon, but it was the first global, big global event, sporting event called off because of COVID-19. So mm -hmm. Tasha and I came to um, Venice and we stayed in shutters and we created our own marathon and then we came over to you. But also that weekend, we went plant-based, Rich, for the first time. Mm. And I, I've not had anything but plant-based. I've had a little bit of milk now and again in a coffee or a tea at somebody's house, but that's, that's about it. But I've got to tell you, I am, I could 
kill a cow from here, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> but how do you feel? Don't you feel good? No, I feel fantastic, but I really feel fantastic. And at, at the weekend, we had the chance. Uh, well, but you got you, you, you know, eating meat is not illegal, but we were very close to being in the, the right company to justify. I think it was a, a sirloin steak on the bone, and Tash was going to go for uh, a Dover sole. And we, were, we actually ordered them. And then um, as the waiter was walking, off we we called him back and we changed our minds thank god we did because mm. all you've got to do is fast forward an hour isn't it to after you've had it and then you can it's much easier to resist but how long has it been for you now plant-based it's been let's see uh almost 14 years right and, have you because yeah. i know you've fallen off the wagon uh, with the booze and we'll talk about that in a sec if you don't mind but have you ever fallen off the wagon with the meat or the fish uh, only accidentally, like there's been situations where I'm at a restaurant and I order something and it comes and, you know, I take a bite out of it and it's got cheese in it, or I can taste a little bit of meat. So there's, there's been, you know, a handful of those types of occasions over the years. And now with delivery food, with COVID, you know, that happens from time to time, but not intentionally. Like I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm I've never gone to a restaurant and just thought I'm going to order a steak. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I'm going to be fine. And I do, by the way, I do feel amazing. And, you know, just give people the headlines on, on, on the benefits of plant-based. Again, with, I know you never preach this. I'm asking you for the, for the response to this question. Yeah, so I went, like I said, I went plant-based 14 years ago. I was uh, 50 pounds overweight at the time and kind of a lazy couch potato sort of guy who had been an athlete in my past but had been sedentary for far too long. Uh, had a bit of a health scare, realized I needed to change my relationship with food, nutrition, physical activity and the like. And I kind of went down a rabbit hole of trying different diets and things and had explored that for maybe six months without much success or results. Uh, and then, you know, the kind of last item on the list to try that I hadn't tried yet was going plant-based. And I was very reluctant to do that. And this was back in 2006. Uh, so there weren't as many of the resources that are now so available and it wasn't as mainstream as it is now. Um, but I did have a buddy, uh, a friend of mine who I used to swim against, who was a big proponent of it, gave it a shot, not thinking that it would agree with me. But when I removed, uh, all animal products from my diet, meat and dairy, and focused on eating whole plant foods, Pretty quickly, like within a week, I felt a dramatic shift in my energy. My vitality improved, my sleep improved. I just felt clearer in mind and in you know my physical my physical day to day activities, and I just decided that this was working for me, and it built from there. And I've been doing it ever since. Um, and what I've discovered along the way, as I've continued to educate myself and improve, you know, this equation is that eating plant-based diet, it's almost like nature rigs it to be this amazing way to live because it's an optimal way to avoid succumbing to all of these chronic lifestyle ailments that are you know, killing and debilitating so many people from heart disease to diabetes, the high blood pressure and the like. Um, it's also much more environmentally friendly. And obviously you're opting out of that cycle of suffering that you know kills millions, billions of animals every single year. And so there's kind of a spiritual aspect to it as well. Uh, and all of those things together, you know, make it kind of this beautiful lifestyle to live. 
See, I feel more stable. So the energy thing I get, and it's not it's not a burst of energy, is it? I find I find that psychologically and um, you know, not as far as sort of high and dynamic energy is concerned, but I feel like I I my sort of mental stamina, you know, I can go all day. I can mm. go all day and I feel much more stable and balanced. And that's what it's given me. And I I seem to have, you know, this I'm not so, so prone to reaction. I've got more time even more time to, to respond now or, or even choose not to respond. And I really like that. I mean, it's given me so much sort of mental space that, you know, I'm now looking at other things in my life which were so far on the horizon of, you know, my to-do list or sorting myself out with. And that's what I've found it's given me. But we're six to seven months in, seven to eight months in, actually, Tash mm. and I. Um, you know, does more come? Do you, do you feel more calm more tranquil you know um more sense i feel a lot more sensitive as well and i feel even though i'm more sensitive to 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 you know what's going on in the world it's not it doesn't wobble me more i, I just i'm just more aware of it and in a way you know it's like it's like almost you know an old fm radio when you can't quite get it tuned in and and the white noise is getting less and less and less and everything's getting a little bit more clear. Do you think that's got something to do with it? Yeah, I mean, I think it's really interesting that you're having that experience. I mean, that really is kind of this, you know, spiritual awakening that you have. And that's not something that I lead with. It's certainly been my experience, but it's so kind of ephemeral. It's hard for people to wrap their heads around it unless they're experiencing it themselves. I think it begins with when you clean up your, your diet and then you can eat these foods throughout the day and you don't have those peaks and valleys in your energy. Like you don't get the food coma after you eat lunch. Like you can return to your desk, you know, after that noontime meal and have like really good energy. And that allows you to be more present in what it is that you're doing, but also more present in your life. And I think as you continue to do it, you're like, hey man, my whole life I was told that I needed these certain foods in order to be healthy. I got rid of them and I actually feel better. So that's weird. Like maybe, you know, maybe I wasn't told the right thing. So what what other things in my life have I been kind of um, deluded about? Like for me, it's it's broadened the aperture and looking more critically at other facets of, of you know, how we live um, and really, you know, opened up an opportunity for growth and learning across the board, not just in body, but in mind and in spirit. And will I continue to feel, you know, have you got any heads up of what, what I can get ahead of now? Or should I just let it all happen? I think you should just let it all happen. But I'm, I'm so thrilled that like you've made this switch and you've stuck with it, you know? And I think that alone also, like making a commitment to something that seems difficult and then, and then staying with it. And, you know, even to the point of like ordering the steak and then telling the waiter to take it back. Like there's a, there's a, like, <laughs> that's an esteemable act, right? Like that gives you a sense of self-esteem. Like I, you know, I actually, I resisted that temptation and you know, what is the cascading downstream impact of doing something like that? Like, I think, you know, all of those little decisions that we make every single day, you know, either move us towards that better individual that we aspire to be or move us away from it. And that's a perfect example of, you know, something that you know, seems perhaps somewhat insignificant in the moment, but I think those things are really meaningful. Yeah, because to get to seven months, you've got to get to one, two, three, four, five, six first, and it's not dissimilar in right. recovery. So when when you're craving, because you do sometimes still get cravings because you talked about it, um, would you crave a drink more than a burger? 
Uh, it's pretty rare that I crave a drink these days. And right. like you said, you know, I got sober in 1998. Um, and about 13 years in, I had a little bit of a relapse and had to reset things. And that's now been almost nine years at this point since that happened. Um, so it's not that it never happens. Like there'll be moments where I think, oh, a beer would be good or wouldn't it be nice to, you know, go out for cocktails. But that's not often. But, you know, I'll feel that pang for for a cheeseburger every once in a while. Um, or if I'm driving by a barbecue spot and I can, you know, smell them cooking, I'll think, wow, that would be, that would taste good. So, you know, just because I've gone plant-based doesn't mean that I now, you know, find all of that, um, you know, horrible to the senses. You know, I, I'm, I'm able to, because I've been doing it so long, like I don't, I don't cave into those temptations, but, you know, they still pop up from time to time. And those are little interesting barometers of like where I'm at with myself. Like if I, if I start craving alcohol, that's a pretty strong signal to me that I need to step up my game with my recovery. And if I'm starting to crave animal products, you know, what does that, what is, what does that mean about what's going on inside of me? Maybe yeah. it's just a weak moment because it smells good, but perhaps it has something to do with something that's going on with me emotionally. And I'm looking to, you know, just get that escape that occurs when you, you know, medicate yourself with food. Yeah. And the abstinence, I suppose, and I'm just realizing all this now, even more talking to you, you know, it, the abstinence gives you this, this uh, sort of calm that means that the next craving for whatever it may be, or it's a burger or some cheese, I do miss cheese, by the way, big time, <laughs> you know, or a cold mm. beer, that they're red flags, aren't they? So you can use them as red flags. And if you treat them as red flags, you don't even, the, the, the craving doesn't even come into it. Right. Like if you're truly still, like, let's say, you know, use a, a monk in the cave, for example, like that's an individual who's so um, tapped into their inner equanimity that they're not tempted by anything external. Right. So how can we move a little bit more towards that where we have control over these impulses and these desires? And, you know, adopting a plant based diet is just one example of how these external forces, these temptations lure us away from being as grounded and as present as we would like to be in our life. And where do you sit on zero alcohol beer on a on a hot day, a really sort of cold zero alcohol beer with a with a say a, say a Beyond Burger? <laughs> That's like living in this, you know, a, a poor man's version of the Matrix, right? Like I I, I want to have <laughs> that experience without feeling guilty about it. You know, it is interesting now. You know, there's so many meat and dairy analog food products, and they're getting better and better at making them taste closer and closer to the real thing. And I think overall, these are, these are great things. Like, I think they're transition foods for people. Like, if you can get people eating Beyond Burgers rather than regular cheeseburgers, that's a step in the right direction. The problem for me is that it does taste so close to the real thing, and they're not the healthiest products out there. So, um, they're not the wisest choice for me because I will, you know, my denial snaps in and I delude myself into thinking that I'm eating healthy when I'm really just eating, you know, a processed food product. I definitely eschew uh, non-alcoholic beer because it's just, it just tastes, it tastes like exactly like the real thing. And, you know, I, I just don't understand that. Like if I'm going to drink beer, I want to get loaded. Like I don't, I don't have a desire to drink near beer or non-alcoholic beer because it's not producing the result that that you know motivates me to drink it in the first place 
but you also talk about the macro no, don't you? Because if you have a big no, big fat no, with the, without any exceptions, it takes away that niggling, exhausting doubt that you have to deal with on a weekly basis. Right. I think it's it, there is something about abstinence that breaks that cycle of craving. When you put distance between yourself and the thing, whether it's a beer or you know a burger or whatever it is that gets you off kilter, you have to weather that detoxification period. But if you get to the other side of that, then it doesn't have the emotional pull. It doesn't, it's, it's depleted of that trigger. But if you keep going back, if you, if you kind of taste it every once in a while, you're never liberated from that. And I think when you indulge in, you know, analogs that produce that same kind of hormonal response, you're also, you know, not, not, you know, that's, it is abstinent and it also isn't because I think it does set in motion that like, hey, if I can have these beers taste good, like it wouldn't be so bad to have a real beer, just one. I'm going to, you know, it just it, it sets in motion that way of thinking. And that's not healthy for me. Yeah. You're, so, so you're turning you're turning sort of closer to the bar as opposed to further away from the bar. Yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it. Okay. All right. We will talk about your book in a second or two, and we're going to spend as long as you have on it. Uh, but first, we don't of have all, to talk. We don't have to talk about that. We talk about whatever you want to talk about. No, but that gets us. I'm here I mean, for the you. The thing is, that gets us to everything we want to talk about because the people who are in it, so it's fine. Um, but let's talk first of all before we move on about you, Rich Roll, going from runs to focusing on the guns. Mm. Interesting. Mm. Um, yeah, I had some I've had some back issues lately, a little sciatic pain, a little lower back cramping. I have this thing called spondy where my lower vertebrae are a little bit tweaked and it requires a lot of um, therapy to keep it sorted out. And it was suggested by my chiropractor that perhaps I should lay off the running for a little bit and and work on some core functional strength and some lower back exercises. And in the midst of the pandemic, I thought, well, there's no races. There's no reason why I need to be out there crushing it right now. Perhaps I can use this opportunity to work on the things that I never feel like I have time to work on or don't really feel like working on. I'm not a gym rat. I don't like love going to the you know, the gym and throwing big weights around. I wanna be outdoors on a trail or on my bike or in the ocean. Um, so a little bit was motivated by contrary action to try to get strong again. Um, so I have been, there's a gym where, you know, they have like social distancing and they restrict it to just a few people and they move some stuff outdoors. So I've been going to this weight room and, you know, working on my core strength and working on just some basic general, um, strength training for the first time in a really long time. And, and I thought, you know, this is you know, I lifted weights when I was swimming in college, but I really haven't been in the gym that much ever since. And I thought, I wonder, you know, at this point in my life, I just turned 54. I've been plant-based for a very long time. You know, what would it be like to, you know, pack on a little bit of muscle and see how that would go? And so I've been doing that. And then I, I actually got like too beefy about a month ago and started to back off a little bit because I was getting like too big. And my wife was like, you look, super chunky not like that but like you look like you know, it's like she's like what are you doing you know so 
I was able to, you know, put on muscle, no problem. Like the whole protein thing is such a fallacy. And, you know, and I thought also being 54, like, I wonder, you know, cause with sarcopenia, like it gets harder to get strong. You know, you can still push the limits as an endurance athlete, but there's a cap on, you know, packing on muscle, but it doesn't seem to have had a problem and my back is feeling better. So I'm going to start doing a little bit more running because I prefer that anyway. Well, they do say, don't they, that uh, weight training helps with the old testosterone, which could help in other departments. Any news there? Yes. <laughs> this is true. This is true. Is that it? Is that all I'm going to get? <laughs> <laughs> what do you want me to say? It's all good. It's all good downstairs and with the wife. Oh, dear. I'll put it that um, way. Because you did mention, and it made me laugh out loud, I spat my tea out, actually, about the fact you were going for the guns um, because you had a photo shoot to do with this new book that was coming out in a few months' time. Uh, <laughs> and you, did, you said that yourself, by the way. Yeah, I know. I know. I was like, well, let's, like, rock it out and see what I can do. Like, I, I've, I've pushed the envelope out a little bit on that because, I, I, you know, I had to take a little bit of a break, but I'm, I'm going to get back into it. So I, Because it would be, like, look, part of like everything that I do, it's like, how do I carry this message of healthy living? You know, is it a podcast? Is it a book? Is it a, you know, do I, you know, make a video? Do I stand on a stage and give a talk? Um, and part of that, you know, it's like, I've, 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 I've graduated a little bit from the moniker of vegan athlete. Like I did all these crazy races, but I don't do that that much anymore. I'm more focused on these conversations that I'm having on the podcast. Um, because you can't be, you know, a, an athlete at that level. It's not a sustainable lifestyle. Like at my age, like I, you know, I need to create longevity in my career in other ways. But I do think that there's still something to be said for carrying that message through, you know, basically being a physical specimen. You know, I think that that, that is powerful as a lever in terms of getting people to rethink their lifestyle habits. So that was the idea behind it. But I need a little bit more time. That's the truth. Well, it's very much helped with the Viking look. <laughs> yeah, the beard. I had to trim it yesterday a little bit. It was getting too crazy. No, but did you check? Because in the book, in your book, um, just right at the end of it, in the gratitude section, which we'll finish this podcast with when we come to it, um, did you check with Wim about, about nicking his look? I did. Well, it's funny. I've posted a couple pictures of on Instagram of me and and the 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 recurring comment is I thought this was Wim Hof. So, yeah, I should check in with him and let him know that pay him a royalty or something. I mean, you do look like his long lost twin. Of course, he has a twin, so you'd you'd be his triplet. Yeah, I know. Also, <laughs> I'm I'm probably like 15 years younger than him, so I don't know how great that yeah. is that. <laughs> people are telling me i look like him to me all i hear is like shave the beard you you look like you're 100 years old right now i think you look cool Do, have you got a watch deal by the way because the watch is perfectly in frame <laughs> no i don't have a watch deal <laughs> only you would ask me that <laughs> yeah but i don't care it's the thing that came to mind because you know when the well like who is it like Leonardo DiCaprio or who's the other right. guy, John Travolta, he's got, always got, you know, you've, that's the watch deal pose you've got going on there. <laughs> yeah, I know you should. <laughs> I'm going to look into that. Is that a whoop on your, on your wrist? Uh, I do have a whoop, yeah. Have you checked out the whoop yet? 
No, I, Whoop is big here. I think well, it's getting big here. You know, we get, we get, it's, it's funny, isn't it? Because even though we were here like a million years before the US, you still lead the way in so much more. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know how mm. that came about, but I suppose it's a Silicon Valley thing. But Whoop is just about, just, just about scratching the surface over here. Oh, cool. Yeah, I love the Whoop. The Whoop has been um, a really cool thing. They're, they're a great sponsor of the podcast. And, they sent me one of their devices um, before we, you know, inked a deal with them, and I just love it. It's I, I never take it off my wrist, and you know, you could, it basically tracks your sleep and your recovery and your heart rate variability and your resting heart rate and all these kind of like biomarkers. So you can kind of gamify um, your well-being through these metrics, and it just makes it fun. It's super interesting too, and they have this thing called respiratory rate. Which, if it's suddenly, it's it's kind of basically supposed to be the same pretty much every day, and if it's suddenly out of whack, they've discovered that that's a pretty good arbiter that you might be getting sick. It's almost like an early warning flag um, that you should probably go get a COVID test. So that's been super cool too. It's funny because very similar, a lot of similar products have come and gone, but I know that a lot of people, you know, in your position, you know, public profile, maybe sent one, you, you have a sponsor with Whoop as well, but they have stuck with this. This seems to be one that's sticking and that's quite rare nowadays. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, I, I, I stand behind it. I really like it. I mean, there's a competitor to it called Aura Ring, which is a similar device, but it's less obtrusive because it's just a ring on your finger as opposed to this, you know, strap on your wrist. Um, but you know, I think the, I think these things are cool. I mean, I think it's important that you don't become like dependent on them. Like, you know, you should, you know, not let them become predictors of how you're going to leave. Like if you wake up and your recovery score is low, that shouldn't be an excuse to like lay in bed all day. You know, I think, you know, these things have their benefits, but, um, you also have to, you know, have a healthy relationship with them as well. Well, I buy everything that you advertise. You are aware of that, aren't you? Except the whoop. Yeah, except Obviously. the week. Yeah, we, it's because I have, you know, I have a phobia with technology. I don't wear a watch. I don't have a phone. I have an email address that you don't recognize when I offer you Oliver Stone as a guest. What is that uh, about? What is, <laughs> I mean, let's start with the email thing. Like, are you afraid to put your own name on an email? Like, what is that about? No, not at all. I mean, the thing is, you know, I like the space that not having a phone has given me and the phone because a phone isn't a phone now isn't it it should be it should be sort of um it, sh it should be taken down in some kind of trace description that because it's not a phone it's it's this supercomputer in your hand but we still call it a phone and i think that's a psychologically mm -hmm. i think that's a very clever play on behalf of all the phone companies still so I, it was the computer aspect i didn't want um and you know i'm you know what do I do? I get up in the morning. I've got a million children. I do my commute. I run into work from where I park the car. I do the show. I have great fun with my friends here. I have community. We we talk things out. So we have a bit of therapy going on. We 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 we're, we're collegiate. We go out after the show to the to the podcast pub thing. Sometimes I get home. Um, we've got twins under two, and we got uh, an eleven eleven year old and an eight year old, and then I have a daughter who's got given us two beautiful grandchildren, you know, and I have to go to bed at like half past seven at night, you know, and so mm. I, I don't have time and it was encroaching, you know, in my time. And also it was reversible. You know, we've read the books, Atomic Habits, you know, Tiny Habits, uh, Mark Manson's books. It was a reversible decision. So I just tried it. I tried not having it for a month and my life became infinitely better. Now, back to your question mm. about the email. Um, Tash was getting a very pissed off with people getting becoming my new PA, which she wasn't happy about whatsoever. And so I then um, sort of I, I, I took on this new email under 
a, a nom de plume, which I used to employ um, as a writer back in the 90s. Um, and you know his name. You, you now hopefully will never yes, forget it. I'll remember it Madonna now. as a guest next or whoever it's going to be. <laughs> um, but the, that, that was my journey. And it's, it's not a terrible one to, to be in the middle of. I think that you have earned the, the moniker of guru because that's no small feat to be able to accomplish that. And I believe you 100% when you say you're a happier, uh, more well-adjusted individual for having you know, ditched the device. And you know, it's, it's, it's no easy thing to do that. So I, I commend you. I don't know that I could get there. I feel so dependent upon it for what I do for a living. And the fact that you've been able to create distance between yourself and the overwhelming temptation that that supercomputer in our pocket holds is, is, uh, is, is quite an accomplishment. So, Rich, we're one hour into this as live podcast. Um, have you got any more um, news, re whether you have a new president or not? I don't think so. <laughs> I have turned off my devices to focus on talking to you. <laughs> as far as I know, it's looking like Biden, but we don't have confirmation. So I don't think that that's changed. It's probably not going to be maybe by the end of today. We'll know. I don't know. If I can, if I can break the news to Rich Roll on a podcast that you have a new president, I am done in this job. That is me over. Right. Well, that would be a green light right there, wouldn't it? Yeah, that would be Matthew would have that. Yeah, it's a green light. <laughs> I love Matthew when he said there when we used to come downstairs as a child. As a child, we used to enter the kitchen with our tail between our legs, and our mom used to say, "Get your butt back upstairs and don't you come down until you see the roses in the vase ahead of the dust on the table." <laughs> <laughs> the thing that's amazing is the facility with which he can whip those things up. Like seemingly effortlessly, he can, you know, enrapture you with a poetic monologue that he that he's just able to summon without any effort. Do you think he does that at home? He walks around his house and just lets loose with like these prophetic, you know, diamonds of wisdom that flow from the tongue. I think maybe because, you know, when you when he talk, tells all those stories about he comes from a family of storytellers and you better be funny and you better be quick and funny, otherwise, you know, somebody's going to get there first. I think he came from the, the school of hard knocks, you know, from a sort of anecdotal um, badinage uh, point of view. I mean, you're not some, you have a lovely, a lovely prosaic, poetic way about, about the way you speak. You know, that's, you, where's that come from? I don't know. Probably my insecurity and wanting to sound smarter than I am. <laughs> it's not that good. Yeah, okay. It's not working. <laughs> Noted. All right. No, it is. Of course it is. Uh, so here we are, one hour in. So we're one hour into a podcast. I'm new to this now. I feel fresh as a daisy. How do you feel? It's funny. You're, that, I feel like that's a, like a, that little refrain that you just did is a is a relic of of your radio experience like you don't have to remind people how long they are into a podcast it's like when somebody's in the middle of a podcast and they say i'm here today with rich roll we're back you know like it's like you don't have they're they already know that they dialed it up intentionally they're here for the yeah. journey it doesn't matter how long it is no i get that i get that entirely and you know that honestly i'm just asking you from an from an exploratory point of view you know how because this has flown by. This first hour has absolutely flown by for me. How, you know, when you when you're doing a podcast, Rich, and you've done hundreds of them, you know, do you, do you look at the clock sometimes? And think, oh God, we're 15 minutes and this is dragging. <laughs> it's yeah, that's definitely happened. Really, it's definitely happened. Or you know, it's like listen, 
when you when you have someone who's a great conversationalist, you could do three hours and it goes by instantaneously. And then you have people who you realize immediately, like you're going to have to, it, it rests on your shoulders to make it go, right? It's only going to work if you double down and like force it to, you know, move forward. And then there's certain people where, you know, I just, I just allow the conversations to be as long as they want to be. And if they run out of steam, I'm like, all right, well, it's great talking to you, you know? And then sometimes I don't air them, you know, just because somebody comes on, I, you know, you got to value the audience above the guest and as sort of awkward as that can be, there's been instances where somebody's come on and I'm like, this isn't, this isn't gonna work and I just shelve it. You, but you don't stop it halfway through, you, you do them the service of carrying on with the conversation. Yeah, usually, and then I'll do an assessment later. Or you have the occasional moment where I did, this happened with Dan Butner at the end of last year, I think. Yeah, I did two hours with him and then when I was done, I looked down at the recording device and realized I'd never pushed record. So that's happened as well. Um, I loved it when you went to see, uh, was it Mishka in New York? And you weren't sure about whether things were working. And so you walked around the room for a bit and you left it all on. I love that, the fact you didn't edit it out. It's so cool. I don't even remember that. Yeah, you did that. Because I never go back and revisit these. Without the first po- the first podcast that I did with Mishka, probably, when I went to his apartment. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I don't even, that's, that's right. I guess that did happen. Yeah, I just, I do the thing and I move on. Much like, I'm sure you do, you know, with everything that you, you're, you're doing this so often. I like, like we said earlier, like, I can't imagine you can recall instances that <laughs> happened years ago that your listeners will be able to like remind you about because they love you so much. I can't remember this morning show and I'm not joking. <laughs> yeah, that's the way it goes. So here we have the book, this beautiful, beautiful um uh, it's, it's all it's an opus it's a, it's a tome it's a big coffee table gorgeous photographic uh, book um there's text there's copy it's a fantastic format um it's it was very worth thinking about i'm sure and it could have gone either way i think it's a smash uh, it's i have in front of me a loosely physical pdf spread over my floor of the studio here like a mm. like a patchwork quilt it's beautiful it's useful it has form it has function um congratulations rich it's it's a piece of work let me tell you i appreciate that and thank you for printing it out i wish that i had gotten you a hard copy in time but we'll have to rectify that i'll get one out to you right away because we're starting to ship them now it's pretty exciting well it's very useful that it's it's like it is because i've got it all spread out and it's much better to talk to you about because uh, just tell everybody what this book is uh, it's it's from the podcast it's inspired by the podcast it's it's as i say there is copy in there there is there's there's literary gold in there there's there's eye candy in there off you go yeah so it's called voicing change and it's basically timeless wisdom and inspiration lifted from the podcast the show that i've been doing for 8 years at this point um, over 550 conversations, thousands of hours of me talking to really interesting, amazing, compelling people across you know a wide spectrum of specialities from diet and nutrition to athletic performance to the arts, et cetera, and everything in between. So the idea was to create um, a printed you know version of the podcast experience that would, be something that the fans would really appreciate, uh, would be a nice introduction for people who not who are not familiar with the work that I do, to really honor the guests who've been gracious uh, with their time with me, and to have a keepsake for you know the listener. And I wanted to do it 
in a really aesthetically pleasing way rather than just a book where I excerpted some of the wisdom from these guests. Like I wanted to be able to present them in a really engaging way. So it's full of amazing photographs and we excerpted, you know, some of the compelling things that these individuals have said over the years. And we've got essays from some of the guests that, that have appeared on the show. And of course my thoughts throughout, and I'm really proud of it. I think it's really cool. It's a book that you can just put out on, you know, like you, like you said, put out on your coffee table um, for people to explore. You can open it up to any page and it basically is 50 guests that I think are, uh, you know, a representation of the kind of people that, um, that the show represents. Before I, open the book or the PDF where I printed out, which was a couple of weeks ago now, because it's been hanging around. It's been great to sort of dip into and out of uh, building up to today. I was going to, I was going to come up with my top five um, rich role podcast guests, uh, or, or I was going to try and predict who yours might be. I know it's a mm. silly game. And then I played it with Tash, my wife, and we, we almost came up with the exact same five. And then I, I looked at the book for the first time. I thought, Oh, and I've left out Julie your wife so that can't happen (laughs) Uh, but my my original five were see how you feel about these um dan butner zach bush michael greger um david goggings and then in with the bullet matthew mcconaughey a couple of days Mm. ago yeah that's a good list i mean they're all in the book except for mcconaughey of course because we just we just had him on Um, but all those individuals are represented in this book um, we got some Brits in there too. We got Russell Brand in there, of course. We got John McAvoy, who you should definitely have on your podcast as well and on your radio show if you're not familiar yeah. with his story or if you No, of course I am. Of course I am. And you got Riddle in there as well. Um, right. And um you got the one beer, um one year no beer guy in there as right. well. Andy Romage. Has he been on your radio show? No, actually we we reached out to him last and he came on for like a th- we were had a really busy show, and I think you mentioned him, or I can't remember how he came onto our radar. And he, I think we we had him on for thirty seconds into another interview, and I said, "Look, we've got to catch up." And I think that's going to happen on the radio show and all mm. the podcast too. But um, mm. of course, the top five. This is you know the top five is a nice fun game, but it does leave out everybody else. So let's get on to. Um, some of the people in this book and some of the things they have to say and you meet these subjects in the middle. Uh, first of all, just to get Julie out of the way in the nicest sense possible, your wife, um, was it a deal breaker that she had to have the hottest portrait picture in the book? <laughs> Listen, I like being married to my wife. She's going to have to be a priority in this book. You know what I'm saying? She's deserving of her slot. Let's make no mistake about that. Uh, but I gave her full editorial control over uh, her complete spread in here. Um, and she got to pick all the photos and all of that. And I think those photos are really cool. No, so, they are really yeah. cool. But we get all, I think we get, well, we definitely get three pretty pretty big tenants of her character uh, via, via the photographs. Because we get Zen, uh, we get Rock Chick, and then we get, I don't know how to describe the third one. I'm not even going to go there, Rich. <laughs> We're going to just leave that to the imagination. <laughs> Let's just do Buy that. the book. Buy the book, everyone. Yes. So, so, uh, so you can come up with your own adjective for that that'd be fun. Right. your objective adjective for that exactly. so um first of all let's talk, we're on julie so let's talk about julie uh, my wife would like to to ask you uh she she in fact she instructed me to ask you on the podcast how do we get her cheese uh, first of all tell the world about her cheese and how do we get her cheese here in the uk so julie launched a plant-based cheese line it's called shrimu s-r-i-m-u and she would describe it as the 
not as vegan cheese, but as the next evolution of cheese. Like she's really perfected the art of coming up with these artisanal plant-based cheeses that you just can't believe there's no dairy in them. Like she's got these, you know, these wheels that are similar to a fine camembert or a brie or a gouda or a mozzarella. And they're really something quite extraordinary. So she launched this direct-to-consumer company last year. It's a subscription-based service, although we just started um, uh, selling the products at Erwan, which is the fancy kind of health food chain of grocery stores here in Los Angeles. That just happened this week, so that's exciting. Um, but she's still very much in the early stages of all of this. She's going out for a second capital raise soon. And so her shipping capabilities are limited to North America at this point, but that's soon to change. She's got a European um, manufacturing and distribution outlet in Italy through this spiritual community called Dom and Her, where she's working with uh, this um, multi-generational uh, cheesemaker who's going to start producing for the European market. And that'll probably happen sometime uh, in the next, I don't know, nine to 12 months. I mean, COVID kind of set everything back, obviously. So the time windows are are shifting, but um, she's hoping to have it available in the UK at some point in the next year. And it, it, it's really, you've, you tried it, like you can testify oh. to it. It's really quite amazing. Oh, it's beautiful. Absolutely gorgeous, that, which is why we want some, lots of it, please. <laughs> um, and if you were gonna put one page up uh, to to give people a taste of the book, uh, it could you could do a lot worse than put Judy's uh, final page up because she, she has these um, sort of seven sections in there, dedicate your life to who you are and then a paragraph on that and it's so erudite articulate and insightful and instructive uh, transform your shadows into treasures take responsibility for your evolution call out your traumas to rewrite your story perspective is your superpower your journey is unique to you alone and meaning derives from sharing our gifts which is awesome right so let's go to We'll talk about some things you always talk about in your podcast via some of the people in your book because because uh, that's the way it works, I suppose. Dr. Michael Gervais, who's awesome, um, he mm. talks about first principles a lot. He does in your book. Uh, this lovely pictures of him. Just explain to people, A, what first principles are and B, how come they're so useful? The idea of first principles, and this is something that also um, comes up in, uh, do you know Farnham Street? Uh, Shane Parrish, the guy who has this blog, he talks about this a lot. He's a guy I've had in the podcast. It's, it's The idea is basically that um, a lot of the decisions that we make and the lens through which we see the world is so clouded through our experiences and the hard wiring that we have, that we inherited from you know our education and our parental upbringing, et cetera. First principles is this idea that we opt out of all of that to take a step back and analyze a problem or a decision that needs to be made from a completely objective perspective um, rather than, uh, you know, kind of our, our inclination, which is to just do it the way that we've always done it. Um, and it's kind of a rubric for problem solving and analysis that helps us uh, think more clearly and make better decisions for ourselves. So Michael Gervais being a sports um, a high performance sports psychologist is tackling, he's working with these clients who are putting themselves in these high stress environments from Felix Baumgartner, who's the guy who jumped from space, 
And the guy, there was the other guy, uh, Luke Akins, who jumped out of a plane without a parachute and landed on a net. You know, like he worked, this is the kind of clientele that he works with. And it's about trying to get them fully integrated and centered to be able to manage those high risk environments and analyzing the stresses that they face and the challenges that they're trying to overcome from this place of first principles is a way of freeing your thinking and your kind of emotional attachment to things so that you can perform at your best. And it's really useful, isn't it, Rich? Mm -hmm. It's hard to do too. You realize when you try to do that, how much you're influenced by your innate programming, whether you know, by dint of, 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 you know, your software or your hardware, whatever's hardwired into you your whole life. Yeah. I mean, after that episode, I, I basically, we'd, we'd Marie Kondoed our lives, you know, we'd done three auctions for the NHS here in England under COVID. I'd sold like basically everything I'd collected over the last 25, 30 years. And I heard that wow. episode and I thought I've got to go again. I've just, there's just too much stuff here because once you get your first principles sorted out, um, they're the things that you really love and you, and you really value. And if you just focus on those alone, you again, you're done, you know, with eight hours sleep a night, you're done, aren't you? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and how much lighter do you feel and how liberated do you feel and how, yeah. you know, it changes the way that you, you know, navigate the world. Yeah. And it's so much cheaper. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. Don't you have a whole bunch of cars though? What'd you do with those? Do you want one? I could use a car. Let me check with my first, let me check with my first principles first. <laughs> okay um i would because I, I would say now let's roll out the big guns but the thing is that all you know all the people on your podcast are always fantastic you've saved or you've chosen 50 the best it won't be the, the last of these books because every single person who's been on would qualify for one of these books in the future dan butner how fantastic is dan butner as a human being he's unbelievable one of the most impressive extraordinary individuals that I've ever met. Uh, I just, I went up and visited him two weeks ago up in Santa Barbara and we spent the day riding bikes around and hiking. And, you know, he is just a font of wisdom and positivity and creativity and very generous and charismatic. Like he's, he's an unbelievable charmer. Like he, you know, on a, on a, like a, on a Kennedy level, like this guy, he's one of those guys that knows how to make you feel like you're the most important person in the room, but he does it from a place of such genuine compassion. And, um, and he's just a fascinating individual to be with because he's traveled so extensively and he spent so much time with so many different types of people and his ability to storytell around that is super compelling. And the work that he does through Blue Zones, trying to people, to get people to understand, you know, the principles for living, living not only a long life, but the happiest life possible have been massive cultural levers in shifting, you know, how people think about aging and think about how they live their life on a, on a daily basis. And I think his work is really profound. And the work that he also does with cities, like now he goes to cities and he helps them become Blue Zone certified. And what that means is, they change their infrastructure and their physical environment to be conducive to healthier lifestyle habits and the downstream impact of that being healthier citizens, lower, you know, healthcare costs, et cetera, and just a generally happier population. And 
I think that that is a great act of service. And so I just, I can't say enough good things about what an amazing human being he is. Oh, can you tell him next time you talk to him that we, we bought our new house um, on the basis of what he said? <laughs> and that's the truth. Oh, good. Yeah. What, that you're, that you're close to community and that, you know, accessibility to other people and all of that? Uh, two phrases, simply, he said them um, because he said they come top of his list every time. Walkability and bikeability. And that's why we bought the house mm -hmm. we live in now. Yeah, yeah, that's smart. And that's something that I think about a lot. Like when I visited him in Santa Barbara, he's like, I don't have a car. I ride a bike everywhere. He lives at the top of a hill. So he's got one of those mountain bikes that has a little bit of an electric boost to it. Um, and he's like, we just take it, you know, him and Kathy, his girlfriend, they just, they just take them everywhere. They go down to the town and they eat, you know, out in these cafes. And one of the things about, it's left me reflecting on where I live. Like I live in a very beautiful place. I have this view of the mountains and, you know, I'm blessed to be where I'm at, but it is a little bit isolated. Like it's a 15 minute drive to, you know, to, to the town and I'm not interacting with human beings. Like even if COVID wasn't happening, like I'm not, I have to go out of my way to participate in our community. And I think that that has a negative impact on my, you know, happiness quotient at large. And I was just in, I was in Austin, Texas a couple of weeks ago because of, of a family health thing. Um, and I spent a couple of days there and I was just, all I did was ride bikes around that city and, you know, go swimming and see people out paddle boarding on the lake. And, you know, I realized like how important like that accessibility, bikeability and walkability is in terms of like my own personal happiness. Yeah. And you don't have to go out with people to be with people because we live and you, you got to come over one day. You're very well. I'd love you to come and see where we live. We live right by the river on the river. So our mm. boat is tied up uh, at the bottom of our garden and there's a bridge that goes to the main town which is about 100, 200 yards away. And then there's the coffee shops and there's the park. And it's down to Dan. I'm not joking. This is why we bought this this freaking house. And it's just changed our lives. And I know, because we thought about it, when we saw where your house was, I mean, you basically live in heaven. It's called Malibu Canyon, mm -hmm. but it, you could also, I think it's secretly heaven. They just haven't told you. But, um, but you do have to get in your car and that changes everything. Yeah. And you don't know that until you... Till you, till you have the sort of luxury of not having to do it. And I think possibly for us, there's no going back. I mean, never say never, but that's how it feels right now. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I mean, I see the appeal. Is that the boat where you were broadcasting for a while? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's hilarious. So you just got your back door right onto the boat and you're, you're good to go. Oh, mate, it's just beautiful. You've got to come and see it one day. Right, other geniuses. Mm. All geniuses, wall to wall in this book of riches, this brand new book, which is about... How do people get the book, by the way, Rich? We, uh, we're self-publishing it, so it's, a, it's only available through my website. So if you go to richroll.com slash VC or you go to voicingchange.com, you can find it there. We're shipping globally. Um, shipping costs to, to the UK, <laughs> there's no getting around it. That's going to be, you know, a bit of a bite. It's expensive, but we can get it to you there. Okay. All right. I mean, you could send a load over and I could distribute them for you. I'm happy to do that. We might do, we, we're, we're looking into that actually, because it would be, you know, it would, it would alleviate the shipping costs if we could figure out a way to get a batch over there and then, and then send them from there. So maybe I'll talk right. to you about that later. Okay. Um, so Dr. Gabon Marte, who is just another extraordinary human being, uh, a compassionate and holistic approach to healing addiction. Um, he reminds me of the guy who, who was in Repo Man. What's his name? The actor. Do you remember the actor that was in Repo Man? 
Uh, yeah, what? Um, <laughs> he just has the mean. best face ever. I know who you mean. Uh, he, he's uh, Harry he's someone. Do you yeah, Harry Dean. Harry Dean Stanton. Yeah, he's like his long Harry lost Dean brother. Stanton. <laughs> but anyway, the Hungarian that's not, Canadian that's the, version. Yeah, that's not the point. The point is, he's a genius. He talks about addiction a lot. Uh, let's see what uh, this is. A little bit of the copy from the excerpt in your book to do with Dr. Gabriel Mate, and he says, "I believe addiction is an attempt to soothe pain in every single case. Cocaine, opiates, heroin—they are all pain killers. Alcohol is a pain killer. Cannabis is a pain killer. Crystal meth diverts you from the experience of." What's going on? Endless suffering by making you feel more alive and excited temporarily, of course. But the question isn't why the addiction, it's why the pain. Genius. Mm. Yeah, what a revelation, right? Like what a gift to humanity that man is. I mean, his whole thing is we can't solve the addiction problem unless we solve the childhood trauma problem. And no matter who you are, like if you, if, if addiction or compulsive behaviors show up in your life, the only path towards true healing is to rectify um, what you experienced as a young person when you were imprinted with these certain patterns. And in his experience and to his, you know, to his testimony, it always tracks back to early childhood experiences and you know, basically how you were interacting with your parents and what the result of that is. And it's not about vilifying your parents, but it's about understanding how you came to be the way that you are and unpacking all of that and working your way through whatever that trauma is, is truly the, the way to resolve a lot of these addictions. And it's not, it's not at the cost of 12 step, but I think when you're um, trying to deal with addiction at the end point through abstinence, et cetera, and your inquiry ends there, you're missing the entire point. And the path towards really becoming self-actualized requires you to reckon with all of that um, stuff that happened to you as a child. And you know, when I had a pot, when I did my podcast with him, he just flipped the you know mics around, and suddenly you know he's interviewing me, and I was perfectly happy to allow him to do that. He starts asking me questions about my relationship with my father and my mother, and you know it became very emotional very quickly i can tell you well he 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 has this challenge this personal challenge that he can get to everybody's trauma within 5 minutes and i remember yeah. when he embarked upon uh, his his exchange with you and i know exactly where i was i was on the junction of the old brompton road on the a4 uh, when he said are you okay with this and you went okay <laughs> and about three <laughs> i think it was about 3 minutes wasn't it rich and you were done yeah it did not take long at all for him to nail yeah, it. So, so clever. All right. Um, yeah. the, the great and the powerful Michael Greger, MD. Oh, my God. We had him on the show. Uh, he is the man. Um, can, can, can Is there another human being on the planet that's so slight as he uh, with more energy? Yeah. I just want to plug him into, you know, into my house and have him power my entire environment <laughs> because he, he literally is limitless in his enthusiasm. I mean, what a beautiful amazing guy did he come into your studio or did you do that remotely no, it was all COVID. he was going to come over for mm. how not to die uh, his book how not to die um and his tour was booked and he was booked on the show but then we did him for again we did a, a pre-show pre-record uh, at about 5 30 in the morning but he he did not he did not disappoint let me tell you yeah he's he's amazing and you know just the clarity with which he can talk about diet and nutrition and 
and also you know bring the entertainment as well is is really cool i, I just love that guy all right let's go uh now to alex honnold um if people don't know who alex honnold is can you please tell them alex honnold was made famous in mainstream culture by by virtue of his documentary free solo where he essentially climbed up the face of El Capitan without ropes. I think most people who are listening are probably familiar with that feat, um, which is about as death-defying uh, you know, as it comes in terms of what a human is capable of. So you know, I think that Alex is one of the most, if not the most extraordinary athlete walking planet Earth right now. Like what he's able to do is so mind-bending, even the entire climbing community, you know, all the people that do what he do, uh, do what he does, can't wrap their heads around what he was able to accomplish by that feat. And so, you know, what does that say? Like, you know, what is that about? Like, what is his relationship to fear and his own body? Like, how do you get into the frame of mind to tackle something like that, where just the tiniest thing going wrong is almost certain death and the groundedness with which he can talk about these things like it's almost um it's it's almost like he you know I, I hesitate to say like is on the spectrum but there's something very unique about his personality that he's able to like look at it all very objectively in a dispassionate way and he even said in the podcast, like they they scanned his brain and like he doesn't process fear in the way that a normal human being does. And I, I just think that that's super fascinating. Yeah, I wonder what drives him. Do you think? Hmm. I think it's curiosity and um, just a, a an honest uh, desire to see what he's personally capable of. And I think he just loves, and he just loves it. Like he just loves, he, clearly he loves climbing and he loves the outdoors. He's not dissimilar to Killian Journey, is he? Yeah, I think they're, I think they're, they're, they're close cousins in that regard. Like they're both able to, to perform at a level that nobody else in their respective field, you know, is capable of, but they're both in it for the right reasons. Like I, they're, you know, like Killian is just, he just loves the he just like he just loves the mountains and he loves to go out running and he happens to be really good at it but he's not he doesn't strike me as somebody who's motivated to like win races or beat other people like he wants to see what he's personally capable of but i think it really comes from a place of 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 joy and personal exploration and respect of nature yeah, and Killian's in the book as well. I mean, you've heard about people driving, um, you know, under the influence, and you've, you've heard about people falling asleep at the wheel of a car. I mean, Killian runs so far, he has fallen asleep whilst running. He's not fallen asleep at the wheel. He's fallen asleep on the <laughs> heel. What is that about? How is that even possible? I don't know. And he's carried on running know. for like a mile whilst <laughs> he's been asleep. <laughs> I know. I know. Right, so Scott Harrison, another guy in the book. Um, lovely quote here. Great picture of you and him. Great two-shot. Uh, let's build a culture of giving, not of guilt, not out of guilt, shame or obligation, but because it's an opportunity to share our blessings with others. Um, and again, you know, there's that great phrase you use a lot. I think Matthew used it as well. You know, there is no arrivals lounge, is there? We, we're not arriving at anywhere apart from our own demise. 
yeah, I think Scott said something like, don't fear work that has no end. You know, it's not about solving the problem. It's about being committed to the solution. And, you know, Scott's extraordinary for so many reasons, um, not the least of which is his commitment to, you know, solving the global water problem. I mean, this is a guy who was a nightclub promoter living a pretty fast life in Manhattan and realized, you know, he kind of had a, a spiritual crisis about his lifestyle and went on this search for meaning that found him in Africa and he realized how dire um, the water problem is there and how lack of clean drinking water was causing all of these horrible diseases and exacerbating the death rate and how easy it is to, you know, how easily this problem could be solved if there was enough political and uh, financial will applied to it. And he came back and created this foundation that's called Charity Water. And not only has he, you know, built, um, constructed wells in um, remote villages all across Africa, he has really reinvented the culture of giving, you know, and I don't know what it's like in Britain, but in the United States for many years, there's a great distrust of, of charitable giving because these organizations have become bloated and there was a lack of, you know, integrity or trust in where that donated money would end up, you know, is this paying somebody's salary or going to office, you know, infrastructure, or is it actually going towards good? And Scott created this model where every single dollar that he raised would end up being used to build wells and that he would figure out how to create infrastructure for his organization elsewhere. And it almost didn't work, but he was able to persevere and not only, um, you know, re-engender trust in giving, but also connect the donor to the product of the donation through technological, you know, aptitude by creating videos and storytelling around these communities that have been transformed as a result of, of you know, the dollars that were spent by um, the donating individual. And along the way, creating this really aspirational brand, like Charity Water is cool, like it's like Nike, like you just, you know, it inspires, um, it inspires, you know, people to get excited about giving rather than, than doing it from this sense of, of obligation or guilt. And he's just a remarkable ambassador of, of, um, of change and also uh, the way in which your life, like you become this much happier person when you wake up every day and think about how to be of service and how to give to other individuals, he's just a, he's a beautiful guy. Like if you haven't had him on your radio show, I would encourage you guys to meet because he's just, he's infectious to be around. Lovely, beautiful. Um, Yoval Noah Harari, uh, we've every, surely everybody knows about him. Um, the only thing I'm going to say about, about him again, it's, a, it's an observation on the picture. He looks like, here we go. Um, Jerry Seinfeld's long lost, slightly thinner twin. <laughs> okay. In the photo. <laughs> right. <laughs> Have you spoken to him? Yeah, no, we've had him on the show. Right. Fantastic. We had Seinfeld on the show as well. Oh, you did? Enough. Cool. But, um, uh -huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Yuval, Yuval is like, I got this opportunity to get Yuval on the podcast, but I had to go to New York. He was doing his book tour. Um, so I go to I go to the fancy hotel suite where he's there and he's got, you know, a bunch of people there and his husband was there. And I got one, you know, a, a very strict hour. And I thought, 
this guy's doing a lot of podcasts, a lot of media. He's so serious. He, you know, he's got these big ideas. He's very intimidating intellectually. And my only goal was like, I just, I want to make this guy laugh. Like, how can I make this guy <laughs> lighten up and laugh? And I, I was able to achieve that. So I'm sure you were able to do that as well. I don't know what your conversation with him was like, but you know, it's like, he's so smart and he's got, you know, these amazing, this amazing perspective on, on our culture. And it's, I don't know, like I get, ner I get really nervous to talk to people like that. Yeah, no, he's really interesting because on his TED Talks, he doesn't move at all. So it's like his feet are, are setting concrete and he closes his hands. And I know what you mean about trying to make him laugh because cause you sort of, he, you, want, you, want, you want him to know how much everybody likes him because you, I sense that he was, even though he's com supremely confident, um, there is an inner insecurity there, as there is in all of us, by the way, you know, and I thought maybe that's why he's so steadfast in his delivery. So for you mm. to get into him, you know, I mean, hats off. Yeah, I mean, but also just to humanize him, right? That's what I mean. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Yeah, because he because he's so good, but he's like he's an intellectual machine a lot of the time, and you know that if he brings this, because you know what what's his what his books are all all about. You know the the human psyche, the human state. You know, and our sort of collective decisions to to agree to to, to you know, uh, global ideas that that now seem to constrict us and restrict us. Mm -hmm. And you think if you put a bit of bit of you into these i mean we love we love what he says anyway imagine if he let himself off the leash a bit more right <laughs> yeah i know right that's what i i was like i want to i want to know what this guy's actually like when you're hanging out with him yeah um you hang out with russell brand a lot he lives around the corner from me i love russell brand oh he does um yeah. when did you first connect with him what a gift that guy is what a beautiful human how did i first connect with him i'm trying to remember how we initially got introduced i mean we have mutual friends so i can't remember what the initial hookup was but um oh i know what it was he uh he was in ireland working on a movie and he started hanging out with the happy pair guys at graystones who are friends of mine who have been on the podcast they run a cafe in this tiny town that's about an hour south of Dublin. And they're just ambassadors of health and vigor. They're, they're identical twins and they go swimming in the Irish Sea every morning and they have a huge social media presence and they're talking about you know plant-based diet and fitness and yoga and all these sorts of things. And I just, I just love those guys. They've come on our retreats in Italy and become very good friends. So anyway, Russell just started going and swimming with them in the IRC every morning and hanging out with them and doing stuff. So they were, they were the ones who, 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 who made the introduction. And so when Russell was in Los Angeles working on a television show, um, he came by, he did the podcast. And then I invited him to come to Nantucket where I was doing a talk and he joined me there and we've just sort of stayed a little bit connected. I mean, it's not like I'm hanging out with him all the time, but I just have so much respect for, the journey that he's been on and the responsibility that he seems to now shoulder in terms of uh, sharing his, you know, spiritual epiphanies with the world and his facility with language is, is, is so extraordinary. I just, I could listen to him read the phone book and be completely <laughs> engaged. 
Uh, if we could find a phone book nowadays, there's probably like thousands <laughs> yeah, right. of dollars on eBay, I would imagine. <laughs> so that that boat you saw saw us broadcasting from uh, on the River Thames. So if I go upstream, upriver, a couple of miles, then I go past Russell's house. Mm. And um, the last time we did that with the team here, funnily enough, who are behind the glass now listening to this podcast and helping us out uh, to get us both together, um, there was this guy, <laughs> there's this guy in, in a rowing skull a feather-boarded clinker rowing skull coming towards us. And um, he looked, he's like a monster hippie kind of guy. And he had these big white sort of um, uh, who, Jackie Onassis sunglasses on. And he was he was towing a paddleboard with this dog on that was as big as a bear. I think it might actually be called Bear, this dog. And uh, a lady who looked like she might be his mum and uh, two girls who, who looked like they might be his daughters. And it was Russell rowing on the river. And it was just <laughs> as you'd want him. <laughs> his dog is called Bear. That's great. <laughs> Please tell me you took a picture of that or have a video. I think somebody on the boat may have... I can't remember. The team would have... I don't know. Maybe we did. Maybe we didn't. The The beers had been... Had been um, I got had you. Been, yeah. been opened by then. So uh-huh. we all went, oh, it's Russell Brand. Uh, anyway, there you go. That was that. Um, but we love him too. Right, James Clear. James Clear is in the book. He's been on the show. James says, true behavior change is really um, identity change. Habits are the compound interest of self-improvement. And, you know, what he's saying is, correct me if I'm wrong, you know, doing more things more often that make us feel better and are good for the world uh, and for us well there's just no there's just no that's that's a win-win for everyone yeah i mean his advice is so grounded and practical he's basically saying listen we all struggle with changing our habits like let's break them to his book is called atomic habits let's break these things down into their atoms and start one at a time and try to figure out how to shift your life so that your actions are more in alignment with your values and do it in a sustainable way by starting small and building momentum that way. And, you know, it's like he's he's one of those guys, like he's got this big brain and he's able to very analytically like break all this stuff down and, you know, God bless him for all the research that he must have done to, you know, come up with this path forward. But there's a reason why that book is such a massive bestseller because I think it's changing people's lives. And, you know, you're able to like understand and digest these principles in a way that allows you to, um, you know, implement them in a way that, uh, that makes sense for people. All right, let's talk about a couple of more uh, books and their authors that you've talked to that are on uh, at that level. Um, so you've got Ryan Holiday and you've got Mark Manson. Uh, cho- choose who you want to talk about first. I love how we're, we're just going through the book one by one. Well, I love it. I, this is the way to do it because, you know, th- there's little sort of pearls of wisdom and, you, t- you know, every time you speak and describe them, you give me more. So are you okay with it? Yeah, I'm co- I'm cool with it. If people are into it, I'm into it. Um, I mean, I love all these people, and there's a reason why they're in this book because I have such you know respect and reverence for what they do. I mean, if you you know take Ryan Holiday for example, I mean, here's a young man who really is this polymath. Like he dropped out of college and you know at a very young age was running marketing for American Apparel, which was a huge garment line, and then becomes this writer who goes on to sell, I think he's sold like 13 million, no, 3 million books at this point. Yeah, 3 million books. Um, and has really popularized the ancient philosophy of stoicism for a mainstream audience and has become in his own right, a bit of philosopher king. 
uh, a bit of a philosopher king and a cultural presence in, you know, important conversations around everything from mindfulness to, you know, how we think about our our current political line, uh, landscape and 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 a real thought leader and a, just a super interesting guy. Um, his books, Obstacle, The Obstacle is the Way, uh, Stillness is the Key, Ego is the Enemy, are all like super little kind of short, um, quick reads, but profound in their in their messages. And I think there's just something interesting about a guy, like the way I think about Ryan is he's a guy who's born out of time. Like he's a young man, I think he's 32 now, but all he wants to do is read books and talk about history, like the great generals, you know, the generals of World War II, or, you know, like his interests are that of, you know, are more, he has more in common with my dad than he does with young men of his own generation. And it's like he's, um, uh, he's like an old man living in a young man's body. And I think that that's super interesting. Uh, and I think that he, you know, he's a, he's a, he's a, he's an important voice in the conversations that we need to have right now about how to proceed rationally in the world. Yeah, I agree. I can't believe he's actually 33, but I can't believe he's 33. How the frick can he be that wise in 33? It's really annoying. It's crazy. I mean, he just, he literally reads like 10 books a week. I mean, that's his priority, is reading books. He's the most well-read young person I've ever met. So Mark Manson was interesting. So he comes on your show, and he, t- he tells his story. He's been on our show. And uh, what was re- what's really funny about Mark's story, it wasn't at the time. Um, it was when he was telling it, because it was in the past. But And it remains funny, is the fact that Mark Manson... Um, who's now written a couple of books that have sold, I think, maybe ten, between 10 and 15 million copies. He wanted to become this writer. Mm-hmm. And so he wants, to, he wants to earn his stripes. You know, he wants to walk the walk and eventually talk the talk. Um, and in about 15 or 20 years, he wants to be a big hit writer. All happened within like 18 months. And he got all the money and he didn't know what the fuck to do. <laughs> <laughs> I know. And he imploded. Yeah. God bless him. This came up yesterday. I was, uh, I was doing a podcast with... Blake Mykoski, who's the founder of Tom Shoes. You know Tom Shoes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where they they make those shoes, and then for every pair that they that they sell, they give a pair away. Um, and Blake had a similar thing. Like he, you know, created Tom's, and it became this massive organization. He was a young man, and then he ends up selling the company. You know, uh, you know, makes hundreds of millions of dollars, and then he's like, well, "What do I do now?" You know, like they're. The, you know, it's sort of like poor me, poor me, but at the same time, like there is something important to be learned about what happens when you achieve your dreams and really appreciating the fact that, you know, all the fame and the money uh, isn't going to, isn't going to make you happy or solve those problems. And we understand that intellectually because we read about people like Mark Manson and what happened to them. But we all still seem to think that it's not going to happen to us. I mean, you're much more successful than I am, but I can tell you that, you know, it's like, well, that happened to him. But if I got that thing, like, then I could just like breathe easy and everything's going to be good. And I think it's very instructive and powerful when you hear from people like Blake Mykoski or Mark Manson, and they tell you, look, I've been on the front lines of this. This is what happened. It almost destroyed me. And it's a reminder that, you know, these things that we seek most, which are happiness, fulfillment, a life of purpose, don't come by virtue of, 
you know, the things that we chase or that we've been, we've been told our whole life, you know, hold the answers that we seek, that those, that those, you know, come elsewhere in pursuits that, you know, our society doesn't prioritize. What's interesting about Mark, though, Mikoski, is that Mikoski, so he, he creates this amazing shoe firm, sells it for hundreds of millions of dollars and then doesn't know what to do. But, but Mark had the added issue of the fact he's written a book called, you know, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. And then he's got to defend the fact that he massively gives a fuck after reading the book. Sorry, <laughs> writing the book. I mean, that was, that was his problem, wasn't it? He's like, oh, shit, I'm the guy who wrote the book. Right. And then how do you follow that up, too? Yeah. You know? Um, I spent last uh, um, December in, in Australia. He's absolutely massive in Australia. Everywhere I went, people are holding that book. Every bookstore, the, you know, every airport bookshop, it's just, it's just a giant wall of his books everywhere you go. And I just thought, man, that's got to fuck with your head. Were you not a week behind him on his tour, and didn't didn't you then interview him? And you you said I I think I was like picking up your, the pieces from whatever you were doing in Australia. They they hired me to tidy up or something after you. I think he, if I recall correctly, after the day that we did the podcast, he headed to the airport and went to Australia for part of his book tour. And then some months later, I was in Australia, and I. I remember seeing his book everywhere and I texted him and I said, I, I get what you're saying now. Like, this is unbelievable. I cannot escape you anywhere I go in this country. Oh my goodness me. All right, let's talk about one of ours now. Let's talk about Andy Ramage. Um, here we go. Um, because not, a, not an alcoholic, but he did quit drinking and he set up the company we referred to before. Quitting alcohol isn't just for alcoholics. Going alcohol free will radically transform your life. If you want to be an even better athlete, take a break from alcohol. If you want to be an even better parent, Parent, take a break from alcohol. If you want to be an even better entrepreneur, take a break from alcohol. Now, this is where I am. So I'm very engaged with this conversation. Mm. Yeah, it's super powerful. I mean, I think what Andy represents is so relatable for so many people because a lot of people go out and drink and then you reach a certain age and you're like, yeah, I'm drinking and this is part of my culture and my environment, but I'm getting a little bit tired of waking up and feeling shitty. But you know, this is what I have to do to be, you know, participating with my friends. Um, and I kind of want to stop, but I'm not an alcoholic. I'm not going to AA. I don't need to go to a, a rehab, but there, there's no resources in the middle. Like either, either, you know, you're an alcoholic and all the stuff that goes with going to AA, like the shame and the, you know, all of that. Um, or like you're on your own. And I think Andy filled this important gap in, in the middle and in between to provide like resources to people who are like, hey man, you can have this amazing life and have fun and be present with your family and still maintain your you know, social life without drinking booze. And you know, I'm here to support you. And he created this amazing community. I mean, his personal story was he was a professional footballer, soccer player. Then he became uh, an oil trader working in investment banking in London and lived that lifestyle for many years where it's, you know, it's a very work hard, play hard kind of thing until he got to this point where he just was sick of feeling like shit all the time and not feeling, you know, excited when he woke up in the morning, kind of lethargic and puffy and hungover a lot of the time. And um, him and a buddy, you know, decided they were going to take 30 days off and that became a year. 
and their lives changed and they became interested in you know trying to share what they experienced as a result of that and they built this incredibly robust community called one year no beer um, and they have some books to follow and uh, a massive following of people who are experiencing you know the joys of not being either dependent or reliant upon you know alcohol to have fun and i think it's i think uh you know to his credit you know it's one thing to like do that and it's another thing to like build a movement around it and that's what they've accomplished and it's impressive no it's so cool he goes on to say in your book and um, when you're drinking you're never consistent your diet exercise and productivity are all never consistent but when you remove the alcohol you're on the ball every day your confidence skyrockets and i completely get that because i've i've done you know sessions without drinking many sessions drinking but many you know i've done days i've done months did 100 days without drinking and i've got some pals who've who've given up the booze for good and stayed on the wagon some fell off it got back on it again god bless them and their lives they change dramatically and they sort of they go from cruising you know up a little bit up sometimes a little bit down sometimes you know um to to they skyrocket almost vertically into the stratosphere and th there is no downside to doing this and i think mm. that maybe and you could tell me you know this far better than i do because you're often you 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 know you take things externally from at the outside to to internally to 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 sort of placate some kind of fear or or to anesthetize all the those obvious things and when you stop partaking in whatever it is uh, that's going on you realize that the only fear is this imagined fear and it dissipates because it was never there in the first place. And then mm. the reason these people become successful is because they seem they have much more time because they're not dealing with the turbulence of, of insecurity. And you can breathe for a start and then you go, right, okay, my day's my own. What shall I do with it? And you see, you almost get double the time that other people have available to them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think that's 100% accurate. I mean, I think there's a lot of fear around how am I going to manage without my favorite social lubricant? Like how I'm going to be how am I going to be able to relax and talk to people at a party? And also on top of that, there's this fabricated sense, this illusion that your friends are going to have an issue with you if you're not drinking and it's just I've never seen that to really be true. Like basically they may might want to take the piss out of you a little bit, but ultimately people are selfish. Like they're thinking about themselves and more often than not, they don't even notice whether you're not drinking or not. It's just, it's never really an issue. And once you realize that and you can kind of get over the hump of whatever initial resistance or discomfort you have around it. Yeah. Your life becomes infinitely better. You sleep better, you wake up, you're more clear headed, you have more energy and time just yeah, time does seem to compound on itself. You end up getting more done and it's just a it's a better life experience. So I would encourage everybody to check out One Year No Beer and give it a whirl, even if for 30 days. No, I am so tempted. Honestly, I, I think I'm there, to be honest. I'll let you know. I'll keep you posted. Um, let's talk about Lindsay Vaughn now. Uh, she says, uh, it's hard to beat the person that won't quit. So tell us about her and then tell us about, give us give us two, three minutes on not quitting. I mean, obviously, there's there's good quitting, like we've just been talking about, and then there's not quitting, which is, is to do with grit and, and to do with, uh, well, you, you take us through it, Rich. Yeah, I mean, I think 
for people that don't know, Lindsey Vaughn is the most successful female skier of all time. And she's noted for her, you know, her tenacity and her grit. She's been injured many times. She always seems to come back and win. And she's just a ferocious competitor. And I think, you know, sometimes it's hard when you have, you know, athletes that are so accomplished or, um, you know, people on your show that have done extraordinary things. It's difficult for the average person to figure out how to connect with that person because they just think, well, that that's a, a gifted human being. Like, that's like a god on earth. Um, but it's always important to realize like these are human beings and and what can I learn from how they approach life? Like what is the lens through which they perceive their world and what can be gleaned from that to benefit myself? And I think grit and perseverance and a refusal to quit and the commitment to those things that you're most passionate about are are life skills that, you know, can benefit all of us. I mean, we opened this podcast talking about Joe Rogan. I mean, that's a guy who, just basically showed up for his podcast every single day for 12 years or whatever it is. And just, just by not giving up and having grit and perseverance, he's been able to build this thing that nobody could have foreseen. And that's applicable, you know, whether you're a downhill skier or a broadcaster or whatever it is that you're trying to express or manifest in, in your life you do make a good point, which is that sometimes you do need to give up. So where do you find that line between perseverance and, you know, and, 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 you know, and coming to terms with when you're not on the right path. And I think that that, you know, decision tree becomes evident when you've put the time into the self-inquiry and the, you know, the inside work so that you're um, integrated enough to know when your instincts are leading you astray uh, and when it's time to continue to stay in the game. Do you remember the subject of your first podcast this year and you're not allowed to look? The first podcast this year? Yeah. Of uh, the initial, like my first podcast episode of 2020? Yep. I think it was with Chad Wright, the Navy SEAL, if I remember correctly. Correct. True? You win the car yeah, yeah. Um, because he talked about a similar thing, didn't he? You know, was, he has a different take on not quitting, and it's all about don't articulate, don't give, literally, don't say whatever it is you don't want to do out loud because you've just given yourself permission to let it happen. Right. His whole thing is don't give pain a voice. That's his mantra. Um, and then his other thing is like don't die in the chair, meaning. You know, you don't you, you don't want to be caught sitting down, like always be moving forward. And, you know, to the extent that you can turn off the thinking brain and mute out all of that, um, you know, noise in your mind that's telling you to quit, that's compelling you to stop, that's throwing these arguments at you that, you know, you don't need to keep going. Like if you can mute that out, then you've got a chance for manifesting what it is that 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 you're trying to achieve. That podcast was so interesting for me because I actually listened to it during the last marathon that we partook in, which was the virtual London marathon a couple of weeks ago now because it was postponed. And then we were invited to do it mm. wherever we were, you know, on the day, the postponed date, which was October the 3rd this year. And so I listened to you and Chad um, and I, I never listen to podcasts when I'm running ever, you know, but this was a much more leisurely marathon, you know, the training had waned a little bit and we'd designed our own route. And uh, once again, it was up from our house, up river, past Russell's house, a bit further on, turn around, come back home again. 26.2 miles. There you go. We actually stopped, stopped at a coffee shop and had some cake and a coffee as, as our, as our, because it was so cool. I mean, that's the way you should do it now and again, you know, it's yeah. fun. But um, yeah. listening to Chad, 
and you, um, one of the because you always have a hard ass on, don't you? On the first, you try and have a hard ass on on the first podcast of a new year. I try to, yeah, yeah. I had David Goggins on the year before, and I was like, well, that was such a smash hit. Like, how do we kick off 2020 correct? I can't have David on again. Like, but who can I get? And Jesse Itzler uh, called me up, and he's like, hey man, I got this guy. You got to have him on your show. He's unbelievable. He's like, he's become like my new guru like he's younger than me but this is the wisest you know he's like he's so crazy wise and he's from like the woods in the middle of nowhere in georgia and he just has this you know laconic you know southern drawl and easy way about him but everything that comes out of his mouth is like unreal like you got to meet this guy and i was like all right jesse i trust you and the guy came in and and sure enough you know is like he's like this He's like this Yoda-like figure living in, you know, living in a in, in out in the country. You know, I don't even know how Jesse found him. Yeah, well, I've th- one thing's for sure: if Chad didn't want to be found, Jesse wouldn't have found him because he was because he's a Navy SEAL. <laughs> yeah, that's true, right? That's true, and also, you know, rocking the most epic beard of all time. Yeah, no, he is such a dude. He's not in the book, is he, Chad? But I'm sure he's going to make the next one. Um, no, yeah, we're going to do one of these every year, so he'll he'll definitely be in a in a future edition. And the thing, the other thing you said about, to Chad is you have a hard ass on at the beginning of the year because people want to be resilient and they 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 they've got their resolutions and and you know it's good to talk to somebody like that about about everything generally. But for people listening, if you haven't checked out that particular episode of Rich Roll, it is phenomenal. His story of how he became a Navy SEAL is, it's actually ridiculous. Yeah. But what's different about Chad versus what you might expect from a Navy SEAL is there is like a soulful quietness to that guy. That's, you know, there's a peacefulness to him. Um, He's not like this aggressive alpha in his personality. Like he's much more... Um, low-key, and I think that that makes his message even more powerful. Yeah, we used to have a show, a TV show here called What's My Line, and somebody would come on, and you'd have to guess what they did for a living. And had he appeared, they'd still be guessing now, because you'd never guess he was a Navy SEAL. No. (laughs) I know, I know. That's so it's true. So true. <laughs> you know, you think he, he's maybe a lay preacher, so, you know, who helps old ladies out with their flower arranging yeah. on a Thursday, but he's a killer. I know. I know. It's crazy. And then every once in a while on his Instagram, he'll shoot, he'll show some photos of him from when he was on, like, I think he did, you know, he did some heavy security detail. So he's got like the Secret Service suit on and the whole thing with a pre beard. And he's unrecognizable compared to what he looks yeah. like now. Yeah, hang on, hang on, Rich. When you say he did some security detail, he 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 was a bodyguard for President Obama. Yeah, that's correct, right. That's right. <laughs> that's that's some security. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. I forgot about that. Yeah, just just the president. Uh, uh, by the way, any news? Any news for Rich? No, still no, no news. No news. Okay. So it still could be Trump. Okay, let's not How long it. do you, how long do you think this is going to go on for? What the podcast or the election race? <laughs> What are, what's gonna end? What are we gonna have? Is the podcast gonna? End? Yeah, this is. A, we just can't. Let's just go all day. <laughs> Did you hear Joe Rogan with um, Duncan Trussell, which was five seventeen? Uh, I listened. To, I don't know that I listened to all of it, but I listened to a good part of it. I love Duncan. What a madman that guy is. 
it was so funny because I listened to that podcast in one. And for people who don't know, we're talking about Duncan Trussell is one of um, Joe's best pals from the comedy store. And he used to work, help out the comedy store. Then he got on stage and now he's good. And and when when Joe and Duncan get together, you know, ma- magic happens. And it's on this insane. particular podcast, it was his first podcast, I think, uh, when he he relocated to Austin, Texas. So, so he, he flew Duncan in for it. And he, he said, look, we, I just want you on. You're, you, you have to be the first. I told, told Spotify. $50 million, yeah, that's fine. But Duncan has to be my first guest. You may never have heard of him. but So anyway, so so this happens. He's on for five hours, 17 minutes. And they, st- they start drinking and they get drunk and they get... They get hanging drunk, but the, the podcast is so long, they, they sober up by the end of it. <laughs> it's a journey. <laughs> Freaking well is, man. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. You can hear them getting drunk, getting drunk. And you think, my goodness me, they're sobering up now. They're thinking about getting a cab home. This this is like being out with them for a night. Right. Unbelievable. Yeah. I think they were they were smoking cigars yeah. and it was all good. What's the longest one you've ever done, Rich? I think uh, I think I've gone four hours with somebody. I've never done five hours. I think I did four hours once, and I've had plenty that went like three and a half. But the typical, uh, now they arrive, they land around an hour forty-five, two hours. It's rare that I stretch it past that. Okay, is that a hint? No, I'm good. To, <laughs> I'm good to do whatever, man. I'm just joking. I got nothing to do. Oh dear. Um, I got no. Hey, man, it's only nine o'clock in the morning for me. You're the one who, who probably wants to get home at some point. No, I'm staying in town tonight. You know, we went into lockdown again today here in the UK. I know. So what does that what does that mean? What's going on? Well, it just it means that we're we're back to where we were on I think it's March the 29th. And what's the vibe? The vibe is is really strange. Really really strange because we've been here before. Um what's the plan? You know, you lock down because the virus is increasing and you know that if you lock down then the cases will go down and infection rates will go down and the pressure on the health service uh, will abate which is all extraordinarily important but then you know that when you open up again the opposite is going to happen so i mean there is there's there's big talk we had lord andrew lloyd Webber on the show this morning and he's he's volunteered for the oxford uh, vaccine trials and he's had the original injection and he's had the booster and he says he feels fine and that there is i don't know whether it's optimistic talk around what's going on at the moment and they need to do some kind of sort of uh, uh virtual hope or virtue hopeful signaling but there's talk about it being rolled out before christmas now and that, that's it's wow. smelling it's smelling a lot more real than it was maybe even a couple of weeks ago that's interesting well that has to buffer like the depressing aspect of getting locked down again and thinking we did all that for this and now we're back and we're doing the same thing and there doesn't seem to be any progress or end in sight. You know, it's not easy. Last night in the high streets everywhere, you know, I live in a sort of village slash town, but even in London, it was, it was like Christmas Eve. People were out, we called it Shipmas Eve. Because you're going to lockdown. So everyone's, let's all go and, you know, be with each other and then go back home. <laughs> like, <laughs> but it wasn't quite that no it wasn't quite that responsible i'm referring uh, to people shopping and things like that because they uh, didn't know this could be the, the their last chance right, to shop right, for right. christmas right 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 gotcha gotcha yeah, there was there was a bit of the other going on as well to be mm. honest but not much were the pubs open have they been open until today um, they were open. So we've had three tiers of lockdown so tier one tier two tier three so if you're in tier three london was in tier three 
put into tier three a couple of weeks ago, and that was you could meet uh, people outside pubs in groups of no more right. than six. Um, and pubs mm. have been closing at 10 p.m. for a long, long time. But when did you come out of lockdown? Because you, you thought you were doing okay early on, and then it got very serious very quickly. We were never in lockdown and to the extent that like we were told we can't leave our houses. Um, it's just people were voluntarily locking down for the most part and businesses closed um, with the exception of, of, of uh, um, you know, businesses that had to operate. So all the restaurants closed, all the bars, all the gyms, all, you know, basically everything closed down and most stuff is still closed. Restaurants are open. You can sit outdoors and some have indoor seating now. Like it all seems to be very inconsistent. Like, you know, the, the, the virus hasn't left. It doesn't seem to be any different, but it seems like we're kind of more lax in how we're dealing with it. And some people are really ardent in their social distancing. And then some people refuse to wear masks. So we're kind of all over the place, which makes me feel like we're in this no man's land. Like we're just going to continue to eke out, you know, a certain thousand number of cases every single day until, you know, there's some kind of vaccine or solution to the, all of this, because we're never going to reach herd immunity this way, but we're also never going to really prevent the spread with half the half measures that we're doing right now. Yeah, and there's the general theory that if you look back at, and they're all animal-based, aren't they? Animal-based, uh, so us messing with animals, trying to domesticate or, you know, uh, uh, use animals for things that they would have a pot on this earth to do or to be involved in. If you look back at all the major pandemics since the Spanish flu, I think in 1917, 18, 19, um, they last about, they naturally t seem to last about 18 months in the severity. And then they, they don't disappear, but they dissipate to a point, a degree that we can then live with. So th there's that mm. school of thought over here. Yeah. Who knows? Well, we're all, we're all infectious disease experts now, aren't we? So we should just <laughs> pontificate about this all day. Yeah. Well, the other school of thought, and you've talked about this a lot, is that we are ourselves a virus anyhow. So we're just a virus with shoes on. Yeah, I mean, what is what is the virus? There's coronavirus, and in America, we're dealing with a virus of ideas right now with the weaponization of social media and the manner in which, you know, these platforms are being leveraged to pit us against each other. Uh, I think that's a virus, and I think certainly the argument can be made that humanity is a virus on the planet in the manner in which we approach it from a consumptive perspective rather than a sustainable one. And I think until we get a handle on how we, uh, you know, manage the animals on the planet for our food sources, we're going to continue to see these outbreaks and they're only going to get worse. I mean, I feel like coronavirus is a very mild, uh, you know, reminder that we're a guest on this planet. Like it could be so much more deadly and virulent. It's like we've been given this wake up call, it's its pernicious enough to get our attention and certainly killing people. And I don't mean to minimize that in any way, but it's not so deadly that um, that we're completely locked down. But it's a, it's 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 like this way of saying, like, hey, you guys need to really get your shit together and change the way that you operate or function, because this ain't working. Spending so much time, you know, living with Julie, who's such a spiritual um, uh, presence, uh, how are you with death? I'm getting there. You know, Julie's really comfortable with it. And, um, you know, I'm in this weird place right now 
turning 54 because a big part of my story is being kind of influenced by this grandfather that I never met who died when he was 54 of a heart attack, who had been a swimmer like me. And so reaching that age of 54 is like this Rubicon that I've crossed where it's like now I'm in the territory of where he was when he passed away. So it's put me um, in a reflective place about death and like feeling more connected to it. Um, certainly, you know, I have things I want to do in the world and, and plans and I like being alive and all of that, but I have reached a place of peace. Like if I passed away, like I'm pretty happy with how I've lived my life and, and, you know, this legacy that I think I've, I've, you know, created for myself with the work that I do. I'm good with my parents. You know, I don't have any amends that I need to make. Um, my kids know that I love them. And so, you know, just being, Mindful of that on a day-to-day -day basis helps me live my life a little bit better. It's like Ryan Holiday says, you know, the Stoics say amor fati, which is basically this idea that if you can bring the presence of death into your daily life, um, it's a reminder of what's important and it helps you kind of prioritize how you spend your energy. And if you became ill and, you know, uh, pray to God you don't uh, ever actually, let alone anytime soon, you know, and you knew you were ill, and because I've thought about this a lot, because my mum and dad died of very similar um, issues, both kept both cancer, and um, they both took a long time to die and suffered, suffered unimaginably. It was awful. It was absolutely awful. And my mum knew. My dad didn't know, but my mum did know, and she was she'd been a nurse all her life, so she knew what was what was coming. And um, she was. She said, said to me, she, you know, she was frightened to. I said, "How are you?" She said, "I'm frightened to death, son. I am frightened to death." And, you know, and this was only a couple of years ago. Um, if and I've often thought, you know, if if I was told that I had something that was going to end my life sooner rather than later, and you know, pretty much in the short term, whether that be a few weeks, few months, or you know, maybe maybe most a couple of years, what would I do and how would I live? You know, and I would I would. I don't want my life to be prolonged. I'm not interested in that. You know, this this keeping people keeping people alive for for who knows why, you know, mm. is because is, it's about the depth of your days, isn't it? Not the number number of them. Yeah, I mean, that's something that Dan Buettner talks about all the time. It's not about living to 100. It's about the, you know, amplifying the quality of your life for as long as possible so that you can, you know, continue to do the things that give your life meaning and provide you with happiness, you know, into your later years. And I do agree with you, like this idea of prolonging life for the sake of prolonging it is really, you know, a perversion on what's meaningful. You know, what's meaningful is being able to be in the world. And once you're not able to do that, like yourself, like I'm not, I'm not interested in being around. And I think it's a product of a culture that whitewashes what death is like we're not you know we're we're not a culture that's comfortable talking about it we try to pretend it doesn't exist we remove it from our view like how often do you see a dead person you know it's like i didn't see a dead person until julie's father passed away a couple of years ago and it struck me like everybody dies like this should be part of our, you know, a part of our life should be bringing the death experience into our life, not trying to pretend like it doesn't exist. And, you know, we all kind of like shun it to the far corners of our, of our mind. 
and delude ourselves into thinking it's not going to happen. And I don't think that that's doing us a service. You know, I don't want to be afraid when I'm going to die. I want to be at peace with myself and content with how I lived my life. And the only way to do that is to bring that awareness into your daily experience. Have you ever considered a Thelma and Louise moment? <laughs> Just driving off the cliff? Yep. Such a flair for the dramatic. No, but seriously, I've thought about it. Not, 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 not in a. Have you? Not in a, in a way other than towards the end of life at all. But I have thought, you know, because it's, it's, it's okay. Okay, I don't think I'm going to be frightened of dying. I don't think I'm frightened of dying now. I really don't. I, I may be wrong, but I don't. But I don't want the pain. My mum went through such terrible pain, mm. you know, and she, she, she was, she had yeah. loads of morphine, and they were up in the dose every single day. And back in, you know, when she was a nurse, they used to put vodka, and this was the NHS. They, they used to put vodka in the drips, and that was all part of the. Of, of the easing of the pain. And the, there's this big argument, wasn't there, in the wow. 60s and the 70s, and then it was messed up by a few people and they, with the best intentions initially of, of psilocybin and psychedelics, which could be the answer to, to, to end-of-life um, trauma. You know, mm-hmm. what do you think about all that? I mean, I think it's interesting. There's a lot of really compelling science that's, that's going down right now in that field. And they're learning about, you know, more and more about what you just spoke about, but also you know, how these substances can alleviate and treat PTSD and depression and all these other, um, you know, problems that we're suffering from as a culture. And I think, you know, more research needs to be done, but I think it's compelling that we're starting to learn about this. You know, as somebody who's, who's in, you know, in recovery and been in recovery for a long time, you know, I have to, I have to you know, uh, it's, it's an interesting thing for me because, the plant medicine thing comes up all the time uh, on the podcast. Came up yesterday with Blake Mykoski, like the, the the kind of powerful experiences of doing ayahuasca or psilocybin, and you know, I, I still grapple with how to think about that because as somebody who's you know inherently an addict, like the idea that a foreign mind altering substance is the solution to my problem is, you know, music to my ears. Like, you know, please tell me more, <laughs> you know, like, sign me up immediately. And then I have to think, well, you know, is this really the path for me? You know, it's, it scares me because, you know, I don't want to be somebody who, who then becomes reliant upon something like that. And I do, I do think that there are people that use these things inappropriately as a shortcut to the personal growth that they're seeking. Um, but, you know, I'm not one to diminish or question um, the authenticity of those experiences either. And I know that they've, you know, they've helped a lot of people. So your book ends beautifully um, as it should with the most useful tool, I think, and I could be wrong and I'm sure you, please feel free to tell me if I am the most useful tool anybody can employ on a daily basis, whether they're in a funk, whether they feel insecure, whether you can't get to sleep at night, whether your mind is wandering at work, whether you're having trouble in the the, the most intimate of relationships, and that is called gratitude. And for people who haven't practiced this before, please don't think it's too woke. It's, 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 it's holier than thou. It is fantastic to practice gratitude you finish your book with it it's the perfect way to end it god knows how you're going to end the second because you've nailed it with the first Mm. over to you roll yeah i mean it's so hokey right i just i wrote a piece um that esquire published yesterday and i talked about the the gratitude practice and how kind of embarrassing it is like oh really you're going to write down things that you're grateful like 
But the truth is, it really is, it, it's incredibly powerful. And I'm not somebody who's naturally grateful. Like I'm irascible and difficult and petty and selfish and filled with ego and resentment and all the like. And I have to work hard to connect with gratitude. And all I can tell you is that when I do that, my life is better. I'm a more pleasant individual. I'm more present in my day. I'm a better partner. I'm a better podcast host. I'm a better parent. Um, and I'm just a generally happier, more productive individual. And it's so simple. Like if all you do is spend five minutes when you wake up in the morning to jot down pen to paper, 10 things, five things that you're grateful for from the banal to like, you know, I had a good night's sleep or I'm glad that I have food in the refrigerator to the more esoteric or sublime. Like I'm grateful that, you know, I can breathe this air and I have another day to live or I have a job that puts food on the table. Um, those things tend to ground you in what's most important. Um, and they really do shift your energy for the day in a, in a meaningful way. And when you make a practice out of it and you're able to string those days together, um, I think you'll find what, what I found, and it sounds like what you found as well, Chris, that, that uh, you know, your life experience is better and that, um, and that the problems that seem to uh, monopolize your thinking uh, get resolved a little bit easier and that um, there's just a little bit more grace in your day. Agreed, here, here. And I know we sort of uh, in uh, pedestrian fashion went through a lot of the people in your book there, but Richard did give me a chance or give the listeners to this podcast a chance to see how much you've taken on board and where you meet your guests in the middle and the kind of sort of really caring conversations that you have um, that are so two-way, uh, so so beautifully balanced. And um, what you, what Rich does at the end of all his shows, he, he does show notes and a lot of the books that you and your guests mention that aren't necessarily to do with them or you, I go and read and I go and watch the films um, that, that are often mentioned. And I just, I thought by going through all those people, we, you, I hope, would back me up say, find any name we've mentioned today, go on their website, find out if they're on a podcast, read their books, because it is gold. It is not expensive. It is not. It doesn't mm -hmm. cost much as much per per ounce as real gold, but it's actually miles more valuable. Yeah, I mean, 100%. And I think, you know, first of all, thank you, you know, for saying that. It, it, it's so meaningful to me that, you know, you you appreciate what I do and the, and the feeling is mutual. And I, I, I think that, you know, here we are a couple of days past our election here in the United States, and it's, it's very um, palpable to me uh, the extent to which our ability to communicate with each other has been eroded, has broken down. And I really, truly believe, and my experience hosting this podcast has borne this out, that meaningful conversation matters. And I really think it is the cure to what ails us right now, to what has left us fractured. The only way forward, the only path to, to establishing common ground and um, our ability to understand each other, which is critical to move forward as a society, is to sit down across from each other and break bread in good faith, you know, in a good faith attempt to try to understand each other. And that's what's so powerful about podcasting where you don't have a time limit and you can go as long as you want. There's something that's hardwired into us as human beings that needs this, that, 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 craves, that craves this. It's like our, our digital way of convening around 
the campfire. And there's something about it that's very satisfying um, and, and, and sates us, like our soul desires it now more than ever when we're mired in this, you know, sound bait, you know, sound bite, click bite culture. Um, and so it's just, you know, it's a privilege to be able to kind of be in this world and, and be a cipher for these amazing individuals who have so much wisdom to share and to kind of help amplify their voices, because I think they're important voices to, to, to listen to. Um, and they're, and it, you know, it's like a mainstream culture doesn't do a very good job of, of celebrating the heroes that really are most deserving of being celebrated. And by you hosting a podcast and myself as well, we have the opportunity to do what they're not doing. Well, you know what I'm going to say now, Rich? Mm, what are you going to say now? It's time to land this plane. La uh, time to land this plane, land Rich. Let's land it. <laughs> yes. It's it. my favorite phrase. We gotta put, I think we'll put a pin in it there. Yeah, we've got to land this plane. Right I on. love it when you say that. You don't, you don't say land this plane as much any, nowadays. I don't know. Probably because you, maybe because you were mocking me for it <laughs> and I got self-conscious. But somebody said to me that I should put that on a coffee mug. So I'm thinking about that. Yeah, no, by the way, please, I wasn't mocking you. I just, it's, it was, honestly, it's just a blind affection or, or misplaced affection. Just back quickly to Joe before we go. Um, when I didn't know that you were a producer of Cowspiracy and you were on Joe so long ago. Um, listen to this, everyone. Rich says, I, to Joe, he says, hey, Joe, I brought you a copy of this documentary that I helped produce. I've brought you a copy. Do you remember when you could take mm -hmm. your documentary, you know, on a DVD or a, uh, on a scroll to, to somebody else? I know, and share it with somebody. You know, what's funny about that is I think Cowspiracy had just come out or was about to come out. I think it had just come out, but it hadn't quite made the big splash that it would later make. And I was introducing, I was trying to get Joe interested in the documentary. He'd never heard of it. He obviously hadn't seen it yet. And throughout that conversation, if memory serves me, we were talking about um, factory farming and animal agriculture and the like. And I kept saying, well, if we go to the Cowspiracy website, they have all these statistics and we can look at that. And I was like, Jamie, pull that up. But Joe just wasn't interested. You know, like he wasn't, it, it was like he wasn't really hearing me or that just wasn't what he wanted to talk about at the time. And it would be many, many months later, you know, before he was like, oh, I saw this movie, Cowspiracy. And then ultimately he had Kip and Keegan, the filmmakers, on the podcast. But, you know, again, it's the Joe Rogan experience. And I was trying to get him interested in that, but he just he didn't seem he didn't seem that interested <laughs> in talking about it at the time. Uh, well, it's been fantastic to talk to you, Rich. And um, please, please start saying, because um, I, I have noticed that since I said that to you, and I honestly, it's because it's a phrase I love. And I said, you, you know, all I said was, sorry, I'm being so defensive now. All I said was, um, you know, that you say like, um, we've got to land this plane like at least I don't know, twice a month. And then you stop saying it. I'm like, Why did I say that? Oh, no. <laughs> I don't know that I consciously decided to stop saying it, but perhaps you were you're eating away at my unconscious mind. No, but I no, will, no. I will, I will, I will return it to the rotation for you. Right. Well, you're gorgeous. You're uh, fantastic. Give our love to your family, and thank you for literally changing our lives. So uh, thank you so much, Rich Roll. Likewise, thank you, my beautiful friend. Uh, I appreciate the opportunity to talk to you, man. And I can't wait to get out to London and visit you when it's uh, safe and appropriate. Come on the boat and we'll go and raid Russell's garden from the river up. Let's do that. 
we will abscond with bear. <laughs> and by the way, you still don't have a president, so good luck. <laughs> I may never make it to London then. Peace. Plants. Namaste. Well, that's it for this episode. Uh, my hero, my podcasting hero, and my go-to wellness guru uh, for all things. That is Rich Roll. And we were talking um, from London to his house, live there, or as live, in Malibu Canyon, where he lives that almost completely zen uh, lifestyle, which is so incredible considering what he does for a living. And today's show has been brought to you by Athletic Greens, which first came onto my radar because of Rich himself. He has been enjoying them for over four years. I'm playing catch-up and you can play catch-up too. Go to athleticgreens.com slash how to wow now and join health experts, athletes and health conscious go-getters around the world who make a daily commitment to their health every day. Again, simply visit athleticgreens.com slash how to wow. And if you do input the how to wow bit of that URL, you'll get a free year's supply of vitamin D and five travel-free sachets today. That's their special offer to you by us. That's almost it. Have a great one. Just one more thing. Don't forget, please, to rate and review this episode because it really helps. And subscribe if you haven't already. Okay, ta-da. Sorry. Ta-da! Ta-da, 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 ta-da.